Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unfound is brought to you by its supporters at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube, along with its gracious advertisers. Jason David Landry was a 21-year-old from San Marcos, Texas. He was a college student who excelled at music. On the night of December 13th, 2020, Jason was on his way to his parents' house when for some reason he ended up on the wrong road and soon Jason wrecked his car. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel. And this is Unfound. What are we, we people who are trying to solve disappearances? We're lookers. We're looking for people. We're looking for information. We're looking for that crack in that mystery wall which seems to stretch to infinity in every direction. Sometimes there are successes. In fact, in the last six weeks, four of Unfound's disappearances have been resolved to one degree or another. Brandon Roberts, found alive. Daniel Villarreal, found deceased, no evidence of foul play. Matthew Braswell, found deceased, no evidence of foul play. Kayleen Oling, found deceased, and surely there was foul play. Yet, many families and the rest of us are still looking to solve all the disappearances still out there. And that's a tough job, knowing that new cases are happening every day. The more we shovel, the more dirt falls in on us. Well, with the disappearance of Jason Landry, you would be hard-pressed to find a family that has looked as diligently as they have in such a short time of two years. And they want everyone to know the search isn't over. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Jason Landry came from a great family. He had a brother and sister. And Jason's father and mother met 
then met again. Jason loved and excelled at music, and he was into video games like most people his age. His schoolwork, well, Jason was prone to eking out decent grades at the last second. However, once college came around, and especially once Jason started attending Texas State, his education became the premier focus in his life. Yet, everyone around Jason noticed how much he struggled during COVID. His extroverted personality being muted by self-isolation and masks. So, on the night of December 13th, 2020, Jason decided to go see his parents outside of Houston. He was in school in San Marcos, and the drive would be about two and a half hours. When Jason reached Luling, a town so small that if he blinked, he would have missed it, Jason seemingly did not make the correct turn. Soon, Jason was on a gravel road, and shortly after that, for reasons unknown, his car slammed sideways into a fence. An hour later, a local drove by, saw the car without anyone in it, and called police. In addition, Jason's belongings were in the middle of the road, as if dropped there. He was never seen again. Multiple searches both at the time and later yielded no signs of Jason or anything connected to him. Like Bo Man from a month ago, Jason Landry is a young man whose disappearance I first covered on the YouTube monthly series Unfound Now. Since then, and just like Bo's, Jason's case has become a national news story. Please keep that in mind as you try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, does Jason's disappearance really start at the strange conversation he had with a friend on FaceTime right before Jason left that night? Number two, did Jason's belongings really sit in the middle of the road for an hour before anyone noticed them? And number three, if Jason had an injury so bad that he didn't think to take his phone as he walked off, he couldn't have gone far, right? Jason's family is open to different theories, yet they realize those theories are few in number. The guest for this episode is Jason's father, Kent Landry. Unfound News as was mentioned in the intro, Kayleen Oling's remains were found just off of Washington Boulevard in Pittsburgh last week. I interviewed her father back in 2021. Now more than ever, the belief is that a man in Kayleen's life murdered her. Next, did you catch my appearance on Dr. Telesco's show yesterday? I hope you did. It was, of course, fantastic. We discussed the resolution to the disappearance of Karen Moore, who was found in her car in a retention pond only a mile from Dr. Telesco's office at Nova Southeastern University. Finally, I've started a new monthly series on Patreon and for members of the YouTube channel. It's called Found. I analyze solved cases from disappearance to discovery and everything in between. I think you will find it informative and enjoyable. The first episode, Brandon Lawson. 
sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast or hit the join button on unfound's youtube channel hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line i'm so happy to have on this episode of unfound the father of jason landry kent landry kent welcome to unfound thank you thank you for having me you're very welcome uh, we were just talking a little bit about family before we started this interview. Uh, so let's uh, start there, as we usually do when we have family members on Unfound. Let's just talk about your family. Um, how many children do you have? Uh, where are you all from? Have you always lived in that area? Let's just start here, get to know the Landry family a little bit. Sure. Um, let's see. I'm originally from South Louisiana. Um, and my wife is, uh, her family's originally from Pennsylvania, moved around a lot. Uh, we both actually ended up moving to a suburb north of Houston called Kingwood. Um, and both of us were in sixth grade, even though I'm a year older than she is. Uh, so I moved, I think it was 77. She moved 78. Uh, my dad is oil and gas. Her dad works for DuPont. Uh, so that's kind of petrochemical industry overall, you end up in Houston sooner or later. Uh, we actually both went to the same high school, Kingwood High School, um, graduated a year apart. Uh, we knew of each other. We had mutual friends, but we didn't run in the same group. It was a large high school. I was in uh, debate and she was in band. Uh, we actually um, saw each other some through mutual friends. Uh, first couple of years in college, I went to Baylor. Uh, on a scholarship for the first couple of years, which is yeah. Southern Baptist. Yeah. And then I ended up transferring to Texas A&M, which is where she was. And that's where we met. First day of my junior year of A&M, first day of her sophomore year. Um, my best friend, who is my groomsman, uh, introduced us and we started dating. Uh, May will be 33 years. So Wow, uh, it was meant to be, Kent. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you know, it's funny uh, when you look back at your life. Um, I really think God was laughing and enjoying putting us together, but it wasn't time. I mean, we literally went to some of the same parties. I knew all the same people. She had terrible taste in men before she met me. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was the right time uh, for us. We dated and we never looked back and so um i um my first degree was in economics uh worked for a couple of years and went to law school my wife's a cpa and has been a cpa her entire career um i'm licensed in texas where i started i i went to law school here in houston clerked for a year and then also was licensed in south carolina and the reason for that was her dad uh, had been living in South Carolina, right across the river from Augusta, Georgia, a town called Aiken, lovely town. Uh, yeah. And since we had lived in Houston for so long, such a large city, we'd go visit in South Carolina. And Aiken's about oh, 30,000 people or so. And it was just such a different style of life. It was much more laid back. It was just, and we really 
were uh, and we decided let's let's see. So I, I looked for jobs in both, found a job in that town. We lived about a mile or so from my in-laws. Uh, Jessica was uh, Jessica was born here in Houston right as I was graduating from law school, mm-hmm. and then we moved to South Carolina. Both the boys were born in South Carolina, so Jessica's the uh, the oldest, and Kyle, and then Jason's our baby. And they were born in South Carolina when I was practicing law. We lived there for well, let's see. Uh, the boys were little. I mean, Jason was barely out of diapers when I was called to seminary, which is a totally different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so we decided to make the big change and go to seminary and I became a pastor. I went to seminary in Austin, uh, which was great. We have family in Austin also. All of my uh, my wife's sisters live there. And um, so my first call was in Mississippi for about five, six years. Amazing people in Mississippi. And then I, my second call is where I still am. I've been here for the last 13 wow. years or so. Wow. When we moved here, um, Let's see, the kids were, Jason was only in third grade when we moved here, and uh, Kyle was fifth, and Jessica was a freshman in high school. So this has kind of been, if you ask them where home would be, it would be here. You're here, okay. And so you're a pastor now. Mm-hmm. And what is the name of your church, and where is it? It's in Missouri City, which is a suburb southwest uh, side of town, Missouri City, Sugarland area. It's called Southminster Presbyterian Church. Okay. All right. Everybody wants to go to church in that area. Yeah. Uh, check uh, Kent, uh, Kent's church out. Okay. Yeah. And so you have three kids. Uh, the oldest is a, uh, a girl, a woman, mm-hmm. and you have two sons. And what are the, the ranges in age again from oldest to youngest, from her to then Jason, the youngest? Uh, well, let's see. Jessica is my oldest. Uh, so when she would be a senior in college, Kyle was a freshman. So they're four years apart. And then Jason is two years after. Okay, very good. Thank you. All right. And so you're all there. And mm-hmm. you've been in Texas then for a while. So you went to Texas to South Carolina to Mississippi, then back to yeah. Texas. Yep, okay. Texas is home. Okay, very good. Thank you. All right, let's just, uh, of course, we're talking uh, today, of course, about Jason. So uh, let's let's talk about him. Um, his interests, his hobbies, personality, some memories of Jason, um, you know, going back as far as you want to go. What, what, what strikes you about your son, Jason? You know, it's funny, um, as a parent, um, you raise your kids in the same house, they eat the same food, uh, discipline the same way, go to the same schools, but they turn out to be so different. Um, and uh, my wife is very type A, and I, I guess I'm type A too, but I'm also ADD. And so it's funny to see how your kids get different attributes of you and then develop into their own person. So for both Jessica and Kyle, they're both very much self-starters, self-directed. Uh, they were, uh, they always kind of knew what they wanted to do. They just plowed through school even though they didn't enjoy different aspects and they 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 had plans and they they're living those plans now still to this day jason on the other hand uh just always it was a plan a week (laughs) (laughs) and the add in me uh appreciates that of him you know we never make a plan we procrastinate but he gosh did he procrastinate but he always had he is the most optim one of the most optimistic people I've ever met. 
he always, you know, if you told him, and we've told him from time to time, you know, like you only have a 5% success rate at this point, you know, it's, or it's like, Hey, you know, like we'd be looking at his, his college work or school or something like that. And he wouldn't be doing his work all school year. And he's like, yeah, but if I get a hundred on the exam, I'll end up with a B. And I'm like, what makes you think you're going to get a hundred when you haven't gotten over a 75, the entire class? He's like, no worries. I'll study. I'll knock it out. It'll be fine. And, and he believes it every time, all the time. And so it's, it's, it was always, um, and I think that's one of the aspects of kind of, He's also very extroverted. Uh, the other kids are more of a mix, and Lisa and I are more of a mix. Lisa's much more introverted than me. But Jason is very extroverted. And when you're extroverted, you get energy and you need people around you. Yeah. And that's part of the particular. And so he was has always been social, uh, social in a good way. Um, always made friends, made friends easily, always enjoyed the company of people, had a very broad group of friends, even uh, throughout. He just, he's one of those people that um, you'll you want to be friends with because he's a good friend. You know, he's, he's there for you. Yeah, um, and so when, with co when, so and he was also incredibly, um, like I said, optimistic and like going to Texas State. He was so excited um, for the new challenge because for the first time he really, uh, for college, he really kind of his first year he went to Sam Houston. He had a good time. He had a lovely girlfriend and he spent all this time with her and having a good time. And, you know, I am no one to say your freshman year of college, you just you know, you're away from mom and dad, you enjoy yourself. He's not the first to come home from his first year of college. And so he did junior college his second year. And he really worked hard for the, I think for the first time, he really wanted, uh, because he started to hear and started to get a better sense of kind of where he was interested in. And so to get into this um, sound engineering program at Texas State, which is one of the top ones in the country, okay. you had to get in the music program, you had to get into school. And so he had to get, you know, he had to make a 3.0 at junior college and all that. And he did. He worked real hard and, was, and he was, and we were so proud of him. And he was so proud because to achieve something, sure. it just, it makes all the difference. Right. And and so he went off to Texas State and, and he's a he's one of the bravest people I know because I mean, like for me, my freshman year of college, my roommate was a guy I've known since elementary school. Hmm. Um, you know, so he, but he went, he went literal, you know, potluck, uh, an apartment complex. He just matched up with whoever was there, uh, ended up not being a good match, but, um, that takes a lot of courage to go to a completely new college um, midstream because you're not a freshman anymore. So you don't have all that kind of freshman bonding stuff. Um, and, uh, just kind of live into it. And I still remember dropping him off, uh, at his apartment that day. And one of the neat things was Jack, who was, uh, who you probably heard in the story lived in the next apartment over was also a friend from band in high school. And because 
In fact, we were driving up there and Lisa asked him, she's like, who do you know at Texas State? And I think he named like, well, I think three people and Jack was one of them. And to have him live next door was, was, yeah, great. you know, it was really a God thing. It really did. Um, was great. That, that so, gave us, that gave all of us a lot of comfort. And, so he was uh, into, so he was into music. What did Jason play or did he take lessons? What were, I think people would be interested to know about that. Being yeah. He played in, music. in high school, he played all the low brass. So he played multiple, he, he, whatever they needed, he played. So he played trombone, bass, trombone, euphonium, um, all of those uh, low brass instruments, not tuba. He didn't play tuba, but it, but basically everything above tuba, uh, yeah. trombone. And uh, he played all that. And he played in uh, regular band, marching band, and jazz band. And um, he, for the program, one of the things he was working on that year is you had to start, uh, you had to actually put out a musical portfolio. So he was teaching himself piano and guitar um, so he could be able to to get into the music school. You've got to yeah. play music. So, um, you know, he he had done some pieces on trombone, but trombone's not exactly, you know, it's not a solo instrument, you right. know. That's true. So uh, he was, true. you know, teaching himself uh, guitar in particular and also some keyboards so he could um, be able to do that. So, my mother, uh, uh, my mother, uh, who is deceased now, but she was a music major, uh, graduated yeah. from Duquesne, being from Western Pennsylvania. She went yeah. to Duquesne University with a music degree. And then uh, she taught me the piano. So I've played the piano since like I was like five years old. So when I hear uh, we're going to talk about a missing person who was into music or was a musician, yeah. I, I, you know, I have to ask about it. And yeah. so that's uh, it's very interesting to me. OK, yeah, it's, it's yeah. funny. My wife is my wife's the musician. She's played piano since she was a little girl. And I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Um, neither can Jessica, neither can Kyle. Um, but so he followed his mom's footsteps uh, in, into music and uh, always had a love for it. And always did. He, in fact, we like I think it was before, like his senior year in high school, you can actually do a career aptitude test that does you, it's like a three day test. You go in and, and they do all these everything from dexterity to everything. And then they give you all these results about things that you would be good at. And the one that was off the charts for him is he had perfect pitch recognition, um, which is actually what started this whole idea into sound engineering, which is actually very rare to be able to accurately hear yeah, a pitch. I know it. As a and, musician um, myself, I know it. Yeah. So that was actually, I think, what what started this whole genesis is, is because it tells you, okay, with this skill, here's the careers you can make out of it. And a sound engineer type of, of career is what is one of those things, because it's kind of an unusual little uh, nuanced thing. And right. so that, I think that's what actually started him to because um, I know after his freshman year and, and into his sophomore year, he was really kind of like, what what is it I want to do? And we said, why don't you pull that? Because he didn't want to do it way back when in high school, we made him do it. I'm like, why don't you pick that up, look at it again, and maybe see now if something pops for you. And, you know, it's one of those things where as a parent, you can make a suggestion and then you have to let it grow yeah. <laughs> its own yeah. so it bears fruit. And I think that's actually what right. happened um, right. was he kind of he he had always loved music. And um, this was, uh, I think, something that he was very, very excited about is that program. And of course, 
that's one of the aspects of it is, you know, to, have, to it's really hard for all for all of us. If if you've ever gone like in with great expectations and then to have them shut down, mm-hmm. you know, like you really are looking forward to this great first date mm-hmm. and she won't call you back. <laughs> Story <laughs> of my life, Kent. Story yeah. of my life. <laughs> it, you know, and that's I think that's kind of part of the whole aspect is yeah. is depends on who you are. It takes you a while to get to to pick yourself back up after getting punched in the mouth, so to speak. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that when he went to this other school, he had a girlfriend. Is this a girlfriend that continued over to Texas State, or did they break up? What was the status? No, the, of no, them? They, uh, what happened there? Well, no, they they quit dating, but they were still friends. In fact, he talked with her um, that same night. Okay. Uh, she was the one who I think was Snapchatting him, and they were just um sending each other pictures of hey you remember this when we went to do this and all that and she's lovely girl lovely girl and they they remain friends afterwards so um nothing nothing terrible but um yeah okay and she ended up moving states away after that you've kind of already answered this question but i'm going to go through it being that it's in the outline anyway so Texas State, the reason he went there, as you've already stated, it's a good music school, good sound school, very well-renowned uh, program. And like you said, he mm-hmm. had to make certain grades in junior college to be able to even get in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Texas State's, um, you know, it's not one of the, the big, you know, it's not A&M, it's not Texas, but, you know, they they have things that they're really good at. And this happened to be one of the, kind of unusual and I didn't believe it when he told me it's like one of the top 10 in the country that why would Texas State have this program that's so good but they do and um he went to visit the you know we went to visit the campus and of course it's a good location um relative to where we were you know I was the only one I think in the state um and so he you know once he kind of made that visit that's what he wanted to do and uh, couldn't wait to get it started yeah. All right. And of course, we know that he disappeared in December. So did he just start like a few months before that going there? Or right. he been there for like right. a year or? No, so just that semester. semester there. This is the end of the fall semester. And of course, if you remember, this is back, you know, COVID time. Yeah, and sure. that actually what ended up happening. Um, I think he got to go to classes for maybe a week, probably two weeks max. And then they shut the campus down. If you remember back then, all of our businesses, all college campuses, everything just shut down. And so for the entirety of that semester, effectively, he spent it sitting in a one-room apartment. Um, One of his roommates never even came uh, back to his apartment. He just stayed with his family. The other two roommates were uh, seniors. They were in a fraternity they they had a very different. I mean, they were yeah. they were in a different place in life, so right. sure. there was no connection there. And as I said, Jason being so extroverted, I mean, he literally only got to go to campus for a couple of times. You know, he never got to go to a college party at Texas State. Uh, he never got to he never got to do anything that college is i mean that's you know part of college is meeting new people social. and going to parties social, and socializing yeah. and walking around a college campus talking with professors attending lectures he got to do none of that he sat in a room like this yeah. looking uh at a webcam for recorded 
um, for school and a couple of his professors literally didn't even do that they just handed a syllabus and said there's going to be an, two online tests this semester good luck and gave him a book and a syllabus and that and you know jason being um non-directional and and not uh the dedicated student that you know for a dedicated self-driven student that would probably wouldn't be an issue but for jason that's like the worst thing you could possibly do to him not to mention so you know he's not getting anything of what his dreams were for this experience and and i think just everything kind of you know, emotionally, I think the walls just kind of close in on you. Right. And, and that's what I was going to ask you is that, yeah. uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'm I'm an introvert. Uh, if yeah. I never leave my condo, I'd be fine with that. Just doing unfound yeah. work or whatever else. Obviously, most people are not like that. You know, I will be I'll admit that during COVID, it really wasn't that big of a change for me. But if you're going to a public school or any type of school and like that, and especially if you're extroverted, that is a huge change. You have an expectation, yeah. then it's something different. How do you think he emotionally and mentally handled that over those few months? Well, as I've said before, I think, and, and that's what kind of part of this journey for us as parents has been, is trying to, to understand better what he could have been going to, through yeah. as to why would he do the things that he did? Like, why was he smoking marijuana? um as much as he was why was he doing all that and i think that's the reaction i mean i mean you for you choose your form of self-medication honestly whether it be alcohol or marijuana or or prozac or fill in the blank um especially for that time for you know for an extrovert sitting in a room with no human contact that's like a level of hell i mean that and that's and I, so I think that in particularly to start this new experience with such high hopes and such dreams, and then to have it turn just on its, you know, 180 degrees and be nothing like that. I think that's hard for anyone. I don't care at my age or Jason's age at 21, even much more so, because you don't have, I mean, you know, COVID for me and sitting, you know, spending too much time at the house. I had my wife. I had my dog. Yeah. You know, I had human connection, but to be denied human connection um, when you crave it as kind of who you are, um, that's not good for any of us. But, and I think it really did impact Jason. So I think I think it really did, you know, so much of. You know, people, you know, like the police officers and all that make make him out to be some kind of druggie or something like that. I don't think that's true. I mean, number one, I know I know Jason, yeah. but I also if you take a step back and you say in this circumstance, I don't think it's an unreasonable reaction to all of those events. I think we would all choose some form of escape, whatever it might be, um, you know. Someone might be comfortable binge watching Orange is the New Black or whatever. I can't even remember what I binge watched back then. Actually, I do. I remember watching, I watched the entire Star Wars animated series. Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, was gosh, was that when, uh, Game of Thrones was on and everything else? You know, I mean, that's what you did, but I still had, I still had my wife, you know, around the house and, 
of course, I still had the church and, you know, I, I got out and about, but, um, you know, for Texas State, they, you know, um, around the Austin area, they had some of, at least for Texas, some of the most severe restrictions, uh, just kind of the politics of that particular area. They shut the whole campus down for that for that whole entire semester, you know, and the only times we saw him were um, uh, he came home in October to vote and he came home for Thanksgiving. And so I was just going to ask you that. So how many times once he went there, being that he w went missing while he was driving back uh, home, uh, how many times did he drive back and forth while he was at Texas State? How so this would have been December was his third trip. Third trip. Yeah. Okay. All right. So be, people need to keep that in mind. So maybe still a little maybe on maybe, but we, of course, we'll get into this later with GPS and all those things. We'll get into that later. But we do have to talk about this, this pre-trip conversation that he had uh, with someone. Um, you know, what did uh, Jason's friend say about it? Uh, I've read, I want your opinion on it, of course. But, you know, I've read that, you know, maybe Jason didn't quite seem like Jason. You know, what do you know about it? I know you've spoken to this friend, this pre-trip conversation that he had right before he got in his car to come home. What what can you say about it? Yeah, well, he was talking with a couple of people that day. I've um, I know Lisa's talked with the guy who videotaped the the one the conversation with Jason. You know, he said Jason was kind of very different, you know, effectively so stoned he wasn't acting like himself. Yeah. Um, I don't really know that young man that well. Um, he actually went to the same high school as Jason, but Jason never knew him in high school. He never knew him or his parents or anything like that. Um, he never mentioned them in high school. I think, I think. Frankly, it, probably one of the people he got to, as, as I understand it, he got to know him online uh, in this semester while he was sitting at home. Okay. And I think he did talk a lot about drugs and whatnot. Um, okay. The other friends he's known since high school also also go back to high school, one of which was uh, he was coming back here uh, to visit and play games and stuff like that with them, which is what his plan was with them. Um, and another friend, good friend of his that goes all the way back to elementary school. Um, they said he wasn't in their conversations with Jason. Uh, they were more worried about like him not getting enough sleep, not eating well enough and everything more so than just the pure conversation about drug use. Okay. Um, okay. so yeah. Um, so have you had a chance? So did this conversation like for example we're doing this on zoom this is getting recorded did that conversation he had with that particular person that we're, we're talking about did that get recorded did you have a chance to assess that for yourself or you just have to take this person's word for it no he, he i think it was a um well it was uh, i think it was facetime and they were facetiming okay. uh, as far as i know jason didn't know he was recording it and okay. the young man's reasoning for doing so is is his he said that jason was acting so weird and whatnot that he was going to show it to him later to for a laugh or whatever i hey. um huh okay i i i, I don't know okay <laughs> I, I'm just, I can, uh, i'll put it this way right. i am thankful i grew up at a time where we did not have cell phones when i was in college yeah, and you know there are many things and many times, shall we say, I am very glad my friends did not record me. Um, 
And if if I had known they had recorded me, um, it would have been a spirited conversation over that <laughs> recording. Let us just say. Right. So I, I, you know, that would not be. Um, I don't know. That would not be so much normative behavior. Uh, that young man hasn't really been uh, forthcoming um, okay. to to us or to law enforcement or whatnot. Um, I so yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, we'll move on then. So we know this conversation happened. Mm -hmm. I'm just taking this guy's word for it. He said that maybe Jason wasn't like himself. However, other people. I'm not so sure we're, we're uh, willing to go that far regarding uh, that the same day uh, as the conversation uh, took place. But it does sound to me that maybe there were a little uh, you as his father, mother too. Uh, maybe there were concerns about Jason, given what we've already talked about, that he goes there and he's stuck in a, you know, doing oh, classes yeah. over a camera and everything else. There might have been a few concerns about, you know, you know, him being there and being by himself. Am I right? Oh yeah, no, and I think, and just okay. just to be clear, I, I'm, you know, it's funny how people like from the outside kind of they 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 insert themselves and and kind of judge what we might be thinking or whatnot. Um, I don't have a problem saying that Jason used marijuana. To think that a college student used marijuana. I'm, you know, if, if that's a surprise to you or a major uh, grounds for judgment, okay. But especially given the particular circumstance of what was going on with Jason and COVID and stuff like that, I I look at it more in terms of he was handling the situation in the, in the way that he chose to. Does it make me happy? Does it make me proud? No. But if I were in that same situation, I can't say that I wouldn't have necessarily traveled down that same road. I I'll be honest. I probably I know that I well self-medicated with alcohol much more than I should have at any time in my life was when I was in college. I drank way too much. And I don't do that anymore. We we generally grow out of those self-destructive behaviors oh. that we did when we were 21 so i i don't i mean you know glass houses throwing stones type of thing but also too i think knowing jason and how excited he was for this for his out and and you know frankly and in, in looking through all of his stuff it wasn't just that he was self-medicating he was whether i agree with it or not he was really trying to go down a path of self-discovery with this. He was very much, you know, and it was you know, some of it's stupid metaphysical stuff. I, I don't agree with theologically or otherwise, but, you know, opening his third eye and, and all, and, and that's kind of one of the things I've come to find out that this, this kind of um, esoteric theory was running is, is present in, Texas state kind of subculture, uh, the college. And that's part of the kind of the weird conversations you have in college where you think, you know, all the answers and <laughs> discover all those answers. So I think, you know, for better or worse, he was traveling through those questions and, and trying to 
discover more about himself in the midst of this, um, frankly, unhealthy level of drug use. Um, you know, and I would say that my my hope, and I think this would be true for anybody, but our hope would be that we learn through these experiences when we're in college, we grow out of them and we mature into a different person. They make us who we are, but we don't stay where we were or in the same behavior that we did when we were 21. We grow up, we grow out of it, we mature, and, you know, something at least interesting, if not healthy, comes out, out of it for all of us. We learn something about ourselves. If anything, we simply learn our tolerance for alcohol and how we should, you know, moderate our behaviors. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, frankly, leave almost all of those behaviors behind. We don't drink. We don't smoke pot. We don't do a lot of things that we used to do uh, when we were that age. And I think that's pretty normative. So I don't... Um, you know, I, I try not to get too hang, hung up on it. I think it's a factor in as much as do I think Jason was as in full possession of his facilities as he could or should have been? And I would simply say no. I know for because it was right at the end of finals. He hadn't been eating correctly. He hadn't been sleeping enough. He was trying. I know academically he was under a lot of pressure and was trying to do very, very well. And was, you know, we, we've all pulled all nighters and we've all, you know, tried to carry on after multiple all nighters. And we usually learn that that that's not the best way to approach our academics but that jason was in the middle of that and was was doing that and then was coming home right at the end and i think that one of did the you know he, did you know he was coming home this was this wasn't a surprise trip no you knew he was headed home not not at this particular time i knew he was oh. so for and uh just to make it clear hang on a second um so both he and his brothers were brother were in college at that time. Uh, their older sister had already graduated from college and was living out of state. She was going to be coming home for Christmas, and the boys had were both just finishing up finals at their respective universities. So I knew that they were all going to be coming home that week, but which day they were coming home, because for both of them, they had both said, well, my last final is, say, and I don't know the particular date, but say my, if my last final is Tuesday, I'll probably not come home Tuesday night. I still have to pack up, still got to do laundry. I might hang out with a couple of friends for a couple of days, that type of thing. And, and it wasn't you know, really um, pressing because we didn't have any family plans until all three of them got home, right. which their sister wasn't due home until at the end of like this happened on Sunday night. She wasn't due home till either Friday or Saturday. I can't remember which day she was coming in. So the the week, as it were, was relatively flexible. We weren't in a rush or anything else like that. And they both had cars. So, it's so he like, didn't call you or anything to tell you he was no, it would have no, just he had he not of course wrecked had he not gone missing. He would have showed up like I guess early in the next morning, and he yeah. would have just been oh surprise, Jason's and probably scared the you know what out of me. Ah, <laughs> yeah. okay. All right, so he didn't. Maybe as, he was looking to surprise my, you. Know, maybe that's you know. I, I don't know how most people were in college, but I can guarantee I did the same thing and came home um, mm -hmm. at an early morning hour at my parents' house. Also, and my kids did the same. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it wasn't. Okay. 
we were expecting him home on. So, and and I don't think, and knowing Jason and, and Jason was, was mercurial in that way. I, I don't think he necessarily planned to come home until the plans coalesced because as I understand it, their conversation, he had been talking with friends and all of a sudden everybody said, well, heck, I'm just going to go ahead and go home and we're all going to get together and hang out. And Jason, I don't think, was planning on coming home yet. He was at least going to wait till the next day. But if all of his friends were coming home, he was a night owl. And he okay. was. He was he was definitely a night owl. You know, driving at midnight was not, you know, getting home at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning uh, wouldn't have been something that would have would have bothered him at all. all right. So you didn't know. So you didn't he didn't let you know. Maybe not too unusual. And so, of course, when you found out, and we're going to get into that in a moment, this was kind of a surprise to you that he was even yeah. on the road. What yeah. kind of driver and navigator would you say, once again, because it seems like he, he wrecked, of course, we're open to other ideas maybe, but what kind of driver was he, navigator, what kind of driver was he? I mean, typical college kid not the best of drivers not that observant and he certainly didn't drive i mean none of them drive defensively i mean we yeah. and, you know um navigating he was de definitely of the electronic age i mean we tried to teach all of our kids how to read a map and and all of those types of things i grew up in the non-electronic age so so i i read a map um you know for him typical hey Tell me what your address is. I put it in my phone and it's going to be Waze or it's going to be, you know, Apple Maps or it's going to be Google. And, you know, if it <laughs> and it's, and it's happened and, you know, the it happened to all three of our kids from time to time. And, and maybe this is just kind of the nature of living around a big city. Um, those maps don't update all the time. I remember. Yeah. Uh, his sister and another high uh, friend from high school, they were, they were going just from where we lived up to Kingwood, which is from the South side of Houston to the North side of Houston takes about an hour, not too big of a drive, but you have to go from one freeway to another to a loop and all that. Um, it's not a straight shot. And for whatever reason, whatever they were using Google maps, ways had them get off by minute Maid park, which is where the Astros play, which is midtown area at night it's not the worst part of town but it's not where i want my uh teenage daughter to be driving around with another teenage girl and but they went exactly where it's you know if it sent them off the edge of the earth most 20 something year olds would go straight off the edge of the earth because True. that's where google maps sent them and jason was very much that way and i, I think that could or could not be a factor you know if, if you punch in the he, and I know he had I know on his phone because I've had his phone. He punched in sitting in his apartment complex um, parking lot, our home address, and hit go. And the directions will take you directly to Luling, uh, to that intersection. Um, and when his phone turned off, you know he does not have a sense of direction to be able to know if you've ever driven that that made that jog it's not as um it's not intuitive by any means okay because uh, you have to come you have to go over two two blocks and then take a left and that'll take you out to i-10 uh, okay. and he didn't make that jog i don't think okay 
So let's move on to, to this now. We're going to look at this uh, from your point of view, how you experienced this, both you, of course, and your wife. Um, but how did you find out about Jason's car being up against the fence in uh, just outside of Luling, Texas? How did you find out about that? Well, the initial call was at around 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Lisa answered the phone. Um, I remember she, what did she say to me? She said, Something like it's the police about Jason. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, that's just, that's the nightmare, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, well, what do you mean? You know, and, and he said, you know, his car has been found, but he's not there. Um, and I mean, I've, I've driven through Luling a couple of times. Uh, it's, because Lisa's sisters live in Austin, so that's one way to get to Austin, but it's not the way we go to Austin. I'd been through Luling probably as much as Jason. I think we've been through there to to move him up to college and back, and maybe once or twice just from here to there. Uh, I know Luling because the Bucky's stop for on I-10 is at Luling. That's what I know of Luling, the town of Luling and the rest of the directions. I, I know a lot more than I used to know. Um, so yeah, it's, I, cer it's uh, certainly a town like if you blink, you'll miss it. I mean, it's yeah, just not yeah. much, or, no, yeah. So it's a, it's a you know, it's a kind of small town like a lot of other ones. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually find out that it was up against the fence, hmm. and the way it was, the officer just you know said it came up, um, to he kind of said, you know, where the gravel road is and that it came up to rest against a fence. So I kind of found it for myself. Um, having been a trawler and I used to do a lot of accident cases, I've been to a lot of auto accident scenes. That's okay. part of what I did. Interesting. I, I, I was an attorney for all states, so you did a lot of that. Um, so I, I knew what I was looking for um, in the middle of the night. And you could see where the tires went off, and then you could see the impact uh, onto the fence. You could see that. You could see that. Um, so I knew that. I didn't know exactly how it came up to rest until I saw the picture, um, and then it then it kind of made sense. So you um, went right. So did you go right up there? Did the police say, "Well, you know, you should come up here"? Or that was just no. He never did. Jumped in the car right away. And, and well, we we waited because uh, at first. You know, he said, you know, we just got called out there and let me, you know, let me kind of sort things out. And so I probably waited for probably a little bit over an hour um, before I jumped, jumped in the car. Because um, that is, you know, because I, I, we, frankly, we expected immediately that, yeah. that, you know, we'd, we'd hear back from him and. You know, he's trying to do stuff and he's like, let me call you right back. So it's it's you're waiting on pins and needles. And the whole time we were waiting, I'm like, OK, because um, we still we, you know, Lisa and I were talking. About, it's like, OK, so what would we ex expect? And what we decided is Lisa would stay home because the home phone is there in case Jason got a ride or something or, yeah. or there was some contact at home. Someone needed to be there in case he right. came home or something. Yeah. We know because uh, we have our home phone. That's the one phone they've always memorized from when they were, you know, in elementary school. If there's one phone number he's going to remember, it's our home landline, uh, not our cell phone numbers, because no one remembers a cell phone number, right? Because um, um, I knew he didn't have a cell phone. 
we already knew then because we had uh, um, you know the fine family find my phone, so we could find we found his phone. Yeah, and it was in the car. Yeah, and because we were like, well, wait a second, it's moving. Well, that was when the tow truck was towing it, and so I knew his phone was in the car, which worried me to no end. That that's when once we figured that out, that's when I'm like, okay, I'm going to look because for him to not have his phone. That's not, I mean, if there's one yeah. thing he's going to say from a, anything, it's going to be his phone um, and maybe his fish, but that would be, you know, he'd say that before anything. Um, and so that's when, frankly, we really started getting worried. So the whole time we were waiting, I was packing up because I knew it was cold. So we were putting up you know, blankets and change of clothes and, uh, you know, food, water, whatever we could think of that he might need. And I just hit the road and Lisa stayed and I made really good time to Luling. I bet you uh, did. I, just, I, I, I don't remember any of it because, because frankly, the whole time, the whole time I was going there, I was expecting any minute to get a call that yep. Jason is fine. He's got him. Yep. I wouldn't have cared if he's got him and he's sitting in jail. Mm-hmm. I just, I was ready for all of those alternatives. Um, but that's what I expected the entire ride. Um, and, and to actually get there and I got there and it was, it was pitch dark. It was probably about. And we should state that it's not close. I mean, how long of a drive is it from your place to Luling? It's a couple hours. It's a couple hours. Yeah. Um, I got there. It was a little bit after five o'clock. I know it was before five 30. So it was between five and five 30. It was still dark. And I knew the name of the, um, towing company because the the guy gave me the name of the towing company so i put that in on my phone and i went there directly because and i looked him up uh, and it said 24 hour towing so i figured someone would be there um so i went there and there was no one there but there was a tow truck driver there who was not the tow truck driver that towed jason but he had, he had heard about you know on the radio or whatever and i said where is that? Where where did he tow the car from? Because the car was there. It was locked up. Um, you know, it was it was in there impound lock, locked up. Okay. By the time and so then, already a couple hours later, it's already been towed from the scene. Yes. It's there. It's yeah, he not out the, on that road against the fence anymore. Yeah, the, the officer towed it almost immediately. Okay. Um effectively that's all I did is clear the scene and drive down the road. Um and um so I knew the phone was there in the impound lot because I could see it on the find my phone. His the car was locked up. Um, no, he, he didn't have he couldn't get that's a he didn't have that key. He couldn't get in there anyway. He said someone will be there about I think seven that could open up the the lot. And um, so he told me approximately where it was off off the the freeway that the highway that runs between Lockhart and Luling. I think it is. And so I said, okay, how do I get to that one? He told me. So I was riding up that freeway, that highway, and my wife is watching me on her phone, watching my location. And she's yeah. like, because um, she had been talking with the officer more than I had. Um, and she's like, I don't think, I think you're past where the accident happened. And I said, well, call him. And because I'm here, give me the exact location so I can go help to search. And that's when she called him and he was in bed asleep. 
And, you know, that's, and I think, and, and I think if he had it to do over again, he would do none of what he did. Honestly, I just think he just, everything he did, he did not according to the book. And I just, I I just, he just had a really bad day uh, as, as an officer and the choices he made. And, uh, I don't think he would do the same again. But anyway, he had the car towed, looked around, drove around along the road. Um, in his mind, thought it was a drunk college student who got a ride from a buddy, yep. and um, went home, went to bed, didn't tell his shift change to keep looking. So I was literally the only person wow. uh, out there looking for Jason, and that was a that was probably the most unexpected thing because I I expected to find an accident scene and, yeah. you know, into I, I know we've all seen them on TV. Yeah. That's what I expected to find. I expected to see people searching. So I was just going to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was the only one. And so just driving down the dark road, really slow uh, going from, cause he finally told me where. So I, I went down salt flat road and, I think from the outskirts of town to where the accident is that night, I think I I saw, actually I saw a coyote, which was really surprising, but I saw, I think three different um, sets of deer. And I think some wild hogs too, maybe Um, just, just in that brief couple of miles and it was very dark and it was very cold. It was very clear and just driving slowly down, down the road. I I was thinking any moment, that I would see Jason, you know, walking. walking along, yeah. Um, and there aren't many houses, but I kept thinking to myself, you know, I would slow down in front of every house because they're they're country houses. You don't just pull up to a country house. It's a good way to get shot in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So I, w- I wasn't going to do that, but I was looking for lights. You know, is anybody up? Is there anybody moving around? And I didn't see any of that because I was like, if lights are on and people are moving around, I was I was going to go. I was going to pull up to their house and say, I know this is a stupid question. Yeah. Did my son knock on your door? You know, type of thing. And I didn't see any of that. And and the area around where the accident occurred, there's not houses anymore. So is it is your understanding then that this police officer just came upon his car by accident? It wasn't like a passerby saw the car and they caught it in. This cop was uh, just driving along and boom. No, no, no. A volunteer firefighter, um, okay. his volunteer station was in over by Lockhart, closer to Lockhart. Okay. But he lives near off of Salt Flat Road. So he was going home from his shift or a party or something uh, at the fire station and was coming home and he passed it. Wow. And so he stopped. And he saw the car up against the thing, looked in, saw that there was no one there. He turned all his lights on and all that and, you know, shined his, uh, you know, I call it a hunting light, you know, the kind, you know, um, that's on on the vehicle. Didn't see anything, called it in and said, you know, there's a car here. uh, Lights are still on, uh, key in the ignition, the back window is broken out. I don't see anyone here. Um, you might want to send someone out, and that's when they sent the trooper out. Okay. Uh, so he that's how they got the call. That's how it got started. Okay. Um regarding that, what time was that approximately? Do you know like the approximate time that he's the car was first found? I mean, I guess what I'm trying to try to determine if memory is- serves, yeah. it was 
it was either it's about an hour window. So it's either 12 midnight or 1230. I'm trying to remember which one it is because his phone went out at either 11 and the car was found at like 12 or it was his phone went out at 1130 and it was found at 1230. I think it was the phone went out at about 11 sitting at that intersection in Luling and an hour later, that's when the highway, the uh, volunteer firefighter saw the car. All right. So we have this hour window. Yes, okay. it's our window, a couple of miles of road. <clears throat> All right, so he calls it in. The trooper goes out, uh, you know, like, because that's what usually happens. You find some car, and you're thinking it's a drunk driver. He doesn't want to get caught. He's running off. You know, what are you going to do? We'll find out. And like you said, this guy ended up going home, and you called him, and he's in bed. Like some hours later, like five hours later, he's in the bed. Yeah, it's well, it was weird because you know I had found the clothes on the line on the road, and I even asked the tow truck driver. I'm like, <clears throat> "Did you see the clothes?" And he goes, "Yeah, I saw the clothes." And I thought, and the tow truck driver, and he goes, "I thought it was like one of these um, arguments between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. and she was throwing like yeah. he had to, she had to pack up all of his stuff, and she was throwing it out of the car because she was so mad. That's yeah. what he thought it was." Because okay. uh, he saw the clothes, and he even and he told the um, the officer, but he goes, "I don't, I don't pick up stuff because, you know, frankly, I, he didn't say as much, but I think he said, well, I figured that's what the officer would do because it's potential evidence, but it, you know, my job was to tow the car from A to B, and that's what he did. All right, and just I to think, be clear, um, though, you drove out there, so the trooper was out there, the tow truck was out there. You get there at five in the morning, approximately. And Jason's clothes are still out there in the middle of the street. Correct. The only thing the trooper took was his backpack because it had the marijuana in it. Okay. All right. So he went through it and then found that. Took that, but left all the clothes right there in yeah. the So when you say that, it was there like a, a suitcase or a bag? It's a backpack. It's a backpack. Backpack was out in the middle of the road. So somebody could have run over it if they weren't paying attention. I mean, to that point. Yeah, the backpack was actually set on the side of the road, uh, not too far from where his uh, toiletry bag was just a Ziploc with shaving cream and toiletries. And also his fish was in a, uh, well, it was a plastic uh, tumbler, not not like, not unlike this, that had a, a, and the reason he would bring his fish is because it had a breathing hole. For his fish to have oxygen um so his beta fish uh was also there so his fish and toiletry bag and just a little bit up the road was where his backpack was but the officer took the entire backpack and left all the clothes and the other items in the road okay um of course realized by the time you got there the car was not there you approximately being you didn't weren't there when the car was there how far away were these clothes from the car Probably eight, nine hundred yards. Wow, that's far. Um, because what happens like is so you're on a gravel road and uh the road curves. Uh the clothes the clothes were in the road, uh the um toiletries and fish were still on the side on like up against the side of the road, against the it's a dirt road, so you're talking yeah. grass and then then gravel. So it was on the verge. And then uh, his backpack had been probably a few dozen feet 
further up the road and the road curves and that's where the accident occurred after the curve and what could have very well happened is is if he didn't navigate the curve correctly could he have you know fishtailed and overcorrected and ended up against the fence or something like that all right so what we're saying is those things were not out because we see i mean we've all seen car wrecks and we sometimes understand how things go flying this was certainly not that this no 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 no, now, this was the cars down there. The clothes are even before you get to Correct. the car. And... I'm traveling. Right. So if I'm driving, I'm traveling. Luling is behind me. The yeah. crash scene is in front of me. Yeah. When I'm seeing the car, when I, yeah. you know, and I was, I was driving slow. My lights were on. I'd already had animals coming across, but I was driving very slowly. Windows down, yelling for Jason, looking for Jason, and I'm just. I'm driving up and starting to get a little bit light by that time. Yeah. Cause I had already gone to, um, um, uh, to the, uh, tow truck lot and I could see, I saw, and I didn't know what it was. And so I stopped before I, you know, I stopped and I'm walking up and I, I knew it was Jason's clothes. I, I know his clothes. I knew the shirt. I knew the shorts. I knew the shoes. I knew the socks. Um, I knew it all. I knew it was all his. And, um, you know, I recorded it um, just, you know, well, number one, I, I was a lawyer. So I just mm-hmm. to record it in case because it was weird to me because I'm like, why would he have not picked up? I mean, your general rule is you pick up everything. It may or may not be useful, but you you secure the evidence properly and then you sort it out later, whether it's evidence or not. Um, and it was just weird. It, it's, you know, that it was all there and I knew it was Jason's. I knew his stuff and I picked it all up. Um, you know, at the time I was like, why is it lying out here in the middle of the road? It, you know, and I was thinking at the time was he walking on the road and was looking for like a jacket or something in his bag. So maybe he was pulling stuff out and was cold and found the jacket and didn't put his, the rest of his clothes back or, or I didn't know what was the story, but I picked it up and kept going uh, to try to find the accident scene, which was right down the road. Okay. Did it look to you like these things had just been dropped, dropped, they dropped there or just kind of scattered about like places? They looked more like they had been dropped and, and mm-hmm. taken off. I mean, is um, when well, you can see the video, I mean, yeah. the, um, you know, his watch was laid down. His, his shoes weren't, you know, tossed. They weren't, they were flat um the 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 shirt looked like it more you'd be if you just take it off and put it down so um yeah it didn't look it it wasn't tossed to the side of the road as much now um now who did they run out i didn't see any tire marks on any of the clothing so my guess is they saw it and just you know just didn't run over it and didn't care to pick it up Uh, when you were doing this, did it? Uh, when did it start to occur to you that this car is kind of in the wrong place? I mean, he shouldn't even been on this road if he was driving from his school to your home. Oh, when, from, did that, when did that occur right away? From from the here? yeah, because I'm like, I mean, frankly, you're like, where in the hell am I? I mean, I've never been out on Salt Flat Road. There's no reason to be out there. It's 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 an oil field effectively, and a and a uh, cow pasture all wrapped up in one there. There's no reason. There's no reason to be out there. 
um, I, I didn't really, frankly, know much where I was. Um, you know, there's no reason to be out there. There's no body out there. There's no. Um, you, you realized right away that, you know, this, you know, car, I mean, car wrecks happen. We know how dangerous driving is just in general, no matter where. But you really realized right away, this is not the road he should have been on. He should have been. Oh, yeah. Well, have I, I knew, turn I knew way how. Way back. I knew where he should have gone. Mm-hmm. Um but and the whole time I'm driving this road, you know, that's why I'm thinking that for whatever reason he got turned around. Um, you know, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, what the heck did waste or whatever tell him to do? Because how could he get so turned around or or what could have happened for him to because you know, and that's one of the things in hindsight, you know, and, and that's where I wonder how much of the phone being kind of down in that annoying place, mm-hmm. how much of it was he was thinking that well, while trying to f- drive and fish for the phone at the well same done, time. Yeah. Um, he, and, you know, and, and it's not unreasonable to think, I don't know where the heck I am, but as soon as I get a hold of this phone, I'm going to hit, you know, I'm going to pull it up again and it'll reroute me and I'll get the heck back out of here and on the road. Cause after a certain time, you know, we've all been diverted and, and, you know, men never like to ask for directions. Let's be honest. And, um, you know, I guess after a certain point you think it's probably going to take me a different route home, but it doesn't matter as long as I get home. So what to do that, that's my guess is to, you know, why you, how, cause part of it in retrospect, if you, and especially if you've ever driven it, it doesn't take you long to go a a thinking rational wise person would say i'm going to stop i'm going to turn back around and i'm going to head back into town because i'm not supposed to be out here this is not the way to get there there's i should Um, not be on a gravel road driving from one city to another city in texas but you know I don't think he was on ways. I don't think it was, you know, I think he was simply not on ways and was just trying to get to his phone so he could get back and it would tell him the way to go. I think he, he knew he wasn't supposed to be out there, but wasn't, didn't care that much as long as he could get rerouted back home, you know, as soon as he got just, of his phone. Just a little speculation. We just really don't know. All we know is the no. car ended up in a place it's not supposed to be. Okay. Certainly. And, and how, and long I saw- take, how long did it take before he got, like, of course, you're out there by yourself at this point. How long did it take? Be, and we know that searches have happened since, but I just want to talk about that search at that time. You know, what was done right at that time, that next four, 24, 48, 36 hours yeah. of time? What, who, came, who showed up and what was done? Right. So the way, and, and just so people understand, so in, in Caldwell County, which is where it is, the city police handle the city of Luling, city limits. We were well past the city limits um, where it becomes Salt Flat Road. You're, in, you're out in the county. When an auto accident happens out in the county, the highway patrol handles it. So if you call 911 for an auto accident, the dispatcher will send out highway patrol, which is what they did because they they were out in the county. So highway patrol maintained control of the case until it was at least a day or two after the accident. Um. Uh, Caldwell County Sheriff's Office didn't take the case over until later. Okay. So they, so the Highway Patrol were the ones who were responsible for 
Like they're the ones who called Texas Search and Rescue to start looking. So by probably by lunchtime that that next morning, Highway um, Texas Search and Rescue was already mobilizing to be out there. And the initial search is very different than, of course, the later searches. Initial initial searches, they literally brought out um, bloodhound teams from the prison system, um, live tracking dogs um, to where they were trying to, you know, the, the, the dogs who smell the clothes. I mean, they literally had Jason's clothes and they literally, we had bloodhounds smelling the clothes and you know, going off in every direction. So for the first day or two, it was very much a search for a a living person. Mm -hmm. Um, And what ended up happening, of course, is a lot of the dogs were hit on that pond. And that's when things switched to where they thought that he was in that pond Mm -hmm. um, for that first week, um, which came to dominate the search for that first week. They did a lot of so they were searching around, but they were also working the pond as they started to drain it and stuff like that. Were the uh, you know, as the listeners know, I'm not the biggest fan of dogs. I know they make a lot of mistakes, and there's a lot of things that going on out there. I'm not the you know, I don't have a lot of confidence in them. But uh, what did the dogs say about the car being in one area, but as you stated? the clothes being 900 yards away. Could they prove that it was Jason who walked that distance and dropped the clothes there? Did that, was that ever determined in that time? Do you remember? As I remember, really their starting point was more where the clothes were found than where the car was found. They did establish a trail, a scent trail from point A to point B effectively. And uh, that's where things kind of diverged. Um, you know, they sent some down the road, some on the shoulders. Um, effectively, if I remember correctly, what they think the scent trail said is it, you know, led from the car to the clothes. And then right after the clothes, um, where the clothes were found, um, by where the pond is, the pond sit, the road, like the road, it goes this way. And if you're driving towards Luling, on the left-hand side, uh, after the close, and you're talking probably 50 yards, is an entrance to uh, what is uh, where some holding tanks and, and some pumper wells are. But there's a gravel road that leads up over a hillside. And on the left side, if you're driving up the hill, it goes down to where the pond is and to the right side, it goes to where what we call the little white house is, which immediately, which backs to the pond, but it fronts to the road. And uh, the dogs seem to think um, the trail, this, he, he walked around the house, I think looking for help, but the house was uh, boarded up. All the doors are nailed up. It's only used occasionally for hunters or like oil field workers um, who need overnight, you know, just to stay there. It's okay. just a relatively abandoned house, but it's in decent shape. It's not abandoned and derelict by any means, but it's not occupied. The nearest house is probably, actually, the nearest houses are, if you kept going up Salt Flat Road, there's a house off the road, 
and the rest are on, off that highway that I was traveling up and down. So it, there's not a lot of houses out there by any means within Which, a probably uh, a mile radius. Doing... I don't know if there's a single house. Okay, and I'm going to be doing a map analysis uh, yeah. video, as I've already told you. Uh, Kent knows that I'm going to be doing that just to explain some of these yeah. for the all the audio people. Um, well, how would you explain the topography and the difficulty of searching that area? A lot of woods or a lot of open spaces? I think a lot of people start thinking Texas. They think all these open spaces. But yeah. that particular area, how would you describe the area? Of course, you've already talked about the pond. I'm guessing yeah. there's some other ponds. Right. So this this looks this is central Texas. This is not west Texas. This is not southeast Texas. So it's actually as you move out of the coastal plains where Houston Brenham College Station is, you now start where Luling is really kind of starts what we call the hill country. Um, but you're not in the hills. Um, so south, this is south of Austin, east of San Antonio. You are in hill country, so it's basically a lot of mesquite and scrub oak, um, and a lot, um, a lot of there's some creeks and and rivers around there, but there's also a lot of um, I call them gullies, um, which are are they're actually dry washes, and what that is is during extreme rainy seasons you'll have a lot of runoff. And you'll have effectively basically a mini flash flood. So you'll have water rushing out into the, the water system. And then it goes into, for example, Plum Creek kind of goes all around this area that has been searched over and over for Jason. That's kind of the border of okay. the immediate area. The accident and the search, um, if you were looking at a map, the western border would be Salt Flat Road. And Plum Creek would kind of uh, describe uh, basically a big looping oval that actually comes back and hits Plum, um, um, goes actually into Luling itself. Mm -hmm. So that big area of, uh, say, a mile or so wide and a couple of miles long is kind of a coastal plain, uh, but it's more scrub oak um, interspersed with some dry washes. Uh, there are some there's oil production there. And if you know what a grasshopper is, just a productive, it's not an oil derrick. It's just that little pump that goes up and down, up and down. Those are kind of scattered throughout the area. And about the only other thing the area is used for is um, cattle grazing. And it's very lightly grazed. It's not it's not like cattle productive area. It's scrub grass. So it's it's pretty dry. Um, you would definitely Any areas to... where a human might not be able to really go like so thick that you can't walk through it. I mean, there's some thick thickets of, you know, live oak, scrub oak, uh, a lot of thorns, a lot of a lot of yeah. stuff where you would not want to be burrowing into. You can get through most of the areas, but when you're in one of those real thick areas, no one in their right mind would want to go into there because it's just okay. it's so many thorns and so many prickers and stuff like that yeah. you would not want to do that okay so then okay the dogs out there people searching how long did that go on that once again the initial reaction the initial search how long did that go on before everybody kind of went really we don't know what to do at this point how long how long did that take to happen it's really twofold so it was a week 
where they were pumping out this uh, retaining pond. And it's a it's a pond that is used for uh, watering cattle. So it's it's a good sized pond, but it's not any bigger than an acre, say. Um, and the owner gave permission to actually drain the entire thing because they did thermographic scans of it and they saw, and I've seen the images and you probably have seen them online. There's an image that looks like there is a body down there. Best they can tell, maybe it was a collection of turtles. They still to this day huh. don't know. Because they did a, they so within 24 to 48 hours, they did an overflight of this entire area. And by entire area, I mean miles. They overflew it with a plane and a helicopter who had forward-looking infrared scans. And that's one of the things I think people keep forgetting is if there was a body, it would have seen it. Mm -hmm. Even if it were someone who had passed, your body retains enough heat that oh, they can see it. So unless it was under something that the this the the infrared could not penetrate they should have seen something and there's plenty of cows and sheep and every kind of thing coyotes and pigs they saw plenty of that but not a person huh. um and that was done within 24 to 40 hours that really i think the first day i think a helicopter was flying to search for that because within 24 to 48 hours you're thinking someone's alive but they could be having you know it's kind of like a lost hiker a broken leg something like that let's rescue them after 48 hours it starts to become a whole lot less so and it really kind of changes and the, and frankly you know in hindsight i realize the dog teams start changing for what you're looking for yep all right so would you, what, what would you say was the last, of course, I know you're looking for him to this day. That's why you're on Unfound. Yeah. But what would you say was the, how long did it go before all that kind of stuff ended? The dogs went home, the the uh, helicopters went home, and, you know, how long did that? About that? a week. About a week. Texas Search and Rescue um, really kind of had two things going on at the same time with, with some help from law enforcement. Law enforcement was very good about providing assets. Um they they had sweep uh, teams that were mounted on horses, teams that were mounted on like ATVs uh, that were going over the area. And they also just had lines of, and these are trained searchers, um, lines of people going through the entire area. And then, of course, they have dog teams of all different sorts working. That's kind of one thing going on. They're kind of searching the entire area while at the same time they are actually pumping out the pond the entire time and that took about a week and you know they really thought that he was in that pond we thought he was in that pond and that was god that was a week from hell because any moment yeah. we just i just i still to this day have this image of him floating in that pond his body and i expected any moment for Sean, the, the search leader from Texas Search and Rescue to come over the hill in his black Dodge Ram pickup to tell us that they had found Jason and hearing those pumps run 24 seven all the time. And we'd go over and look at it, but it it's kind of like people say, well, why am I not out there physically searching all the time? I'm the last person in the world that wants to find my son's body. Um, I don't want that to be my last 
image. Yeah. So anyway, so is there a reason first, they uh, is the reason they didn't just didn't send a diver down there instead of they did okay. they did they they had, uh, they had divers down. Okay, I just within, thought it'd be easier to uh, send a diver out than pump out. No, they they actually on. gosh, it was it's still amazing. They really uh, law enforcement. They brought in diver dive teams from like. I think they had dive teams all the way down from Corpus Christi, drove up with their boats and their scanners and everything because the water is muck. I mean, you cannot see, but they they would rotate. They had dive teams constantly physically searching by hand and foot every inch of that area and, you know, with poles and, and everything trying to, while they're pumping, they had divers in the water constantly. Mm-hmm trying to figure out what was going on. I guess I just thought maybe it could be like one or the other. You wouldn't have to pump the water out if you had a diver that could just go down. And like well, you said, it looked like they, there was some yeah, there t- that you could just go down in 10 minutes. No, initially and- they brought the dive teams and the dive teams, you know, and they would rotate them through and they had a whole bunch of dive teams. I know they had like four or five working and, you know, they, they went and they searched the entire area, you know, multiple times, scanned and physically. And by the time the dive teams, because they expected to find a body, I mean that that's yeah. these dive teams do. This is yep. yeah, this is their skill set, and they really expected to find a body. And once they didn't, they said, "We can't, you know, we we have to eliminate this pond, and the only way to do it is to literally drain it." And they did. The owner gave permission, and it take, but it takes about a. Uh, and they had to bring in the large diameter hoses and set up a whole infrastructure. But they did, and it took about a week. And the whole time, you know, uh, we expected it to to be, um, him to be there, and it, and he wasn't. And they had other teams working the whole time, and the and the people in that area are just amazing. I mean, we people from. You know, churches and area, just people heard about it. They just brought food. The uh, county judge, who's kind of like the county commissioner, uh, literally brought us his RV to stay in. He had a he had a trailer RV. He literally brought his own personal RV, so our family didn't have to stay in a hotel. That we could be present at that scene. The people there are are just some of the nicest people I've ever met. You know. Uh, I'm, I may not be fans of of some people and or some organizations, but I can tell you they are some of the most wonderful people um, that just, you know, and they, they just bring food. And I mean food. I mean just tons of food, not just for us. There are probably 100 searchers to feed all these people. And they're just like, I'm a parent too. Here, take this. Great. Just amazing people, really. Just to be clear, though, you did. Of course, we know about the clothes that were seen even by you that very morning uh, when you got there. That were still there for some reason. The shoes, you, uh, all the things that you've, all these items. But during those searches, nothing else of Jason's was found. No, they found you know different scraps of clothing, different mm-hmm. stuff. But and they they'd search them and and. You know, they, they have uh, like forensic anthropologists on call. So they there's lots of boats out there from cows and every other thing. And if there was one that looked like it could be human, they would take a picture of it and put measurements and they'd say, no, that's a, a whatever. And they'd move on. And, and I mean, they but every, you know, and they'd bring us, you know, scraps of clothing and all that. And they're like, is this Jason's? And we'd be like, no, yeah. never did. As far as far as I know, hmm. 
there's never found uh, been found anything. Anything other um, than the, those things that were down the road that you saw initially when you showed up there? Yeah, no, nothing behind for some reason. Okay, let's move on to what I call the rest of the investigation. This is other things, of course, the the now that um, you know things that we can look at separate moving on from those first days uh this came up i think when uh my friend john lorden interviewed you with me as a, a sidekick way back i think that was a couple years ago now maybe or yeah it's a couple years now yeah it was. But we had talked about uh and i think there's even been some videos done about the route and how you know we've talked about how could he have been over there but there has been an analysis of you know maybe the 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 directions are a little unclear the way the signs are and the way you're supposed to turn is that you've been there i've not been there is that the way you think about that because i'm probably guessing some people have seen that as well is it a little confusing when you're pulling into there to luling you have to make a right to go down to the other highway how do you think about it yeah so you to get to and you know you can see the pings on jason's phone there's nothing about from when he left the parking lot in terms of speed in terms of time nothing untoward that you would that would indicate he stopped or had any issue with anyone you know uh wasn't going crazy fast crazy slow just cruising along until he gets up to this intersection and if you're sitting at that intersection what's supposed to and it's um Gosh, I'm trying to remember the, what they call the names of the street right there. But what used to be First Baptist Church is immediately in front of you. And what, what you're supposed to do is you're sitting at a light and there's also a stop sign. You're supposed to take a right-hand turn and go two blocks over a, go over a railroad track. And then the next light, you take a left and that left will take you out to I-10. That's how you, you would go. Um, but of course, as you know, and the analysis is done immediately, it's kind of as he was coming into Luling before that intersection, he got a Snapchat and Waze goes into the background and it never restarted. The last effective ping that we have was right as he was coming up to that intersection. So without Waze to tell him, hey, turn right here. If you go straight, what will happen is you will go straight and then the road will wide and you'll go through it's maybe a block or two of some houses and the road will wide and if you keep going and the the left fork is the is the more clear one um and that actually turns into salt flat road you'll kind of be at the outskirts of town and you'll you'll be on blacktop for a little while and then it turns into gravel and you'll eventually come out to where the accident scene occurred um and that's what i think happened uh without any direction I, you know and did he lose his phone at that intersection or you know from when he was trying to hang up from snapchat or or whatever that i don't know um but or did something happen at that intersection it's possible that little area right there is as i understand it is not the best part of town that's where the drug dealers hang out at night uh were there any there at that particular hour yeah or? we want to we want to avoid any speculation i yeah. but uh but, I, but i remember once again i didn't watch it today but but the there's not months, there's not a flashing sign that says yeah. there is a sign that says i-10 yeah this way yeah. but it's on the far side of the intersection right right and it's not well lit right i don't I, i've seen it at daytime but you do not see that at nighttime 
and there, there's no lighting or anything that tell you know, because normally I would say if you're going to sign it, you would tell me in front of my face, I tend this way, but it's on the far side, on the far side, in a dark right. intersection. You wouldn't have seen it. You really wouldn't have. Right. Uh-huh. So listeners for listeners, I guess what we're saying is when you're used to coming up to an intersection and there's a major interstate, the sign to turn right is usually before you get to the intersection, whereas yes. this one, I guess you're supposed to just see it in the distance, even though it's after you're supposed to make your right. Yes. Yes. There's no, you know, like if you're coming into, you know, it's like, you know, Houston, you know, uh, 80 miles this way, right? You know, the, there's there there's not that no, there's no. not there's no signage there. So yeah. Okay, very good. That's what I was thinking of. All right, and I'm going to show that in the map analysis as well. Let's move on to the car. Of course, uh, it got wrecked. Uh, was not I guess not drivable. It it spun around to the point that it was spun back the way that he had come from where he, where he'd come. And there are pictures that people can find online. I'll, I'll try to find some of those to present them to everybody. But any signs of injury inside the car that uh, the police saw? Um, any blood on anything? Uh, what, did anybody, somebody, once again, you being familiar with um, car wrecks, even though you didn't get to see the car up against the fence, how bad of a car wreck was this? Well, I guess there's two things. Number one, a lot of people have made a lot of um, judgments on the damage to the car in, sitting in the impound lot. Mm-hmm. I think you need to look at, there's only one picture. And it was taken by the volunteer firefighter of the car sitting up against the fence post. That's the picture. There's only one picture. You know which one it is. It's dark. It. The lights are on. And you can see the, the you know, you're looking at the passenger side of the car uh, with its nose facing towards Luling, with its butt facing, you know, the way you would have been traveling. Right. And um, so the... And what appears to have happened, and you can see it, and, and I've also done the video, you've seen it too, that I did of the scene when I found it that morning. And you can see that the tire tracks, what probably happened was the car actually went down the, and it's a it's a gradual embankment. It's not steep, but it's there's a little ditch there. Went off the road with it, it had done a, 360 effectively with its with its butt end it's the trunk leading and that's what impacted the driver's side rear corner of the car so where your trunk is driver's side that pillar is what hit that um it's there's a tree and it hit that oak tree hard and then i think the rest of the car because of that impact stopped slewed around and then also hit and uh, came to rest up against the barbed wire fence and another tree, but not nearly as hard. But there was also an impact on the the, uh, driver's side by the front tire. Okay. So it came to rest up against a barbed wire fence. Um, And you can look at the door of the car. What I think happened and the back, the back window is broken out. What happened, because I looked at the tree and you look in the car, you can see all the branches from the oak tree. Those must have hit it hard enough to break the window. Mm-hmm. 
because there's some pretty good sized branches. That okay. that's what actually broke out the window. Because I mean, I, you can see it in the pictures. All the branches are in. The glass was in. That's what actually broke the window. The police officer thought for some reason that Jason had kicked out the window to get out. I don't think that's at all happened. I think the branches broke it out. Jason probably very much could have been knocked unconscious because there's not any side impact airbags in his car. And that kind of impact would have certainly made him go up against his driver's side door, I think. Right. Um, but I think, and I think he pushed open his um, driver's side door against the barbed wire fence and scooched out probably how he, he probably got that little blood on the waistband of his shorts, probably from the barbed wire, just pricking his lower back or something like that. Um, uh, you know, so that was, know. that was the extent of the blood though. There wasn't like uh, you know, no, there, I morbid, looked at the car, just not a big puddle, but there's no, there was no blood. No, there's nothing looked unusual inside his car i mean it's i mean it's my car but he drove yeah, it i, I, got, I, got, I looked it it didn't nothing looked out of place or um broken or there was no you know because i i was i was first and foremost looking for his phone because i knew it was in yeah. there yeah and, and i actually couldn't get his phone by going in the front of the car I couldn't reach it from the front seat. I actually had to go open the back of the car, back door of the car, and go in from the back seat under the front seat. That's how I actually ended up getting it. I could not reach it by reaching down there. Um, and and that's where it was. It was in you know sitting up against that rail of your seat in that really annoying place. It is. I, that's I, where I, have, uh, I have a similar car. I have a Sonata, yeah. Hyundai Sonata, similar to that yeah. car. Of course, a different make. But I, I didn't see yeah. any blood whatsoever. I didn't see any blood uh, in anywhere in the car. You know, they've done the forensic sweep for it. They couldn't, as far as I know, there there wasn't uh, any blood. So. Um, and so, yeah, I should just ask no blood on those clothes that were found 900 yards down the street either. Nothing on any of that. Just the little dot of blood. And when I say it's 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 smaller than the tip of an eraser, wow. um, probably about maybe a little bit smaller than the tip of an eraser. And it was on the I think it was on the waistband of his underwear or the waistband of his shorts. I can't remember which one it is, but it's it's kind of like back um, kind of between your above your butt cheek you know okay. low, low back right there where your waist is has anybody once again familiar being that you figured out kind of uh once again given your experience uh going to crash scenes has anybody though with the the highway patrol or local police giving you an idea of how fast he might have been going when all this happened the highway patrol never, to my knowledge, never did. And I, they, there was no accident reconstruction done. The only accident reconstruction that has officially been done was by uh, the leading expert uh, here in one of the leading experts here in Texas. And that was through the attorney general's office, asked him to oh. go back and reconstruct the accident. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, because because there were no measurements because i mean he had so little to work from basically he had my video the picture and the car to look at uh which is not enough to make a good scientific analysis which would not normally be what you looked at um it was inconclusive as to, okay. to one car two cars um any of that kind of information okay any signs that somebody could have been in the 
uh, car with Jason when this happened? As far as I know, the only door that was unlocked, because I know the passenger doors were locked because the cop tried to get in through the passenger door and didn't try to get in through the other door. So he said, I think on the video, he says the car is locked, but the driver's side door was unlocked. Um, but that was the only one that, you know, the front driver's door was the only one unlocked to my knowledge. Okay. So um, there's no signs that anybody else sitting if in they the passenger did, seat. Once again, I'm just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't recall if the passing, if the driver's side rear door was unlocked or not. Um, at the scene, I, I don't know if it was ever checked to be honest. I don't think it was ever checked. Um, I know the front driver's door was unlocked when I walked up to it at the at the accident scene. Okay. All right. So no evidence that he could have picked up somebody that's say a hitchhiker, just as an example, no proof of that. I, I don't I don't think so. Knowing Jason, I mean I, I, mm-hmm. I've ta- I've tra- taught my kids, yeah, you know, especially and especially at night, that would have been out of character for my kids at that hour i would have oh i would have torn them a new one because you do i mean i'm sorry you just you know you can call me what you want but in the middle of the night and something like that no that would not be what i would want my children to do and i all right so no once again we're just trying to be black and white here no proof may maybe pick somebody up but there's no proof that he did just any regarding the damage on the car we know there was damage from the actual hitting of the fence and the tree and everything any evidence that he might have had in uh, a run-in with another car was it like another car damage like paint from another car or something like that there's no there's there's no pain in the forensic analysis there's no paint of on another car on that as as far as we know um, there is a lot of damage to the rear end and the bumper cover is off and all that. That all, I believe, because you can see the picture and, and it looks intact when it's sitting there, but that tow truck must have just yanked the car just straight out the ditch without, frankly, much care right. of to anything. So I think all the damage to the rear end of the car was effectively done by the tow truck. They, they claim they did not damage it in any way, but frankly, I don't believe them. Okay. Um I think All right. Uh, how about this? The interior of the car, we already know a lot of his stuff was outside of the car. What was, of course, we're, we're going to get to the phone in a second. But besides the phone, what else was actually still in the car? I think the only thing I, I remember in the back seat, I think there was a light jacket. And I don't think much else. Um, I actually took pictures of it all. Back in the day, I can actually look at it. All right. Okay. Well, I guess I guess what we're saying is more stuff of his was outside of the car than inside the car. Yeah, there was nothing in the trunk. Um, because one of the things I was wondering is like, did he bring as as we all did in back in the day? I was frankly looking for a laundry basket full of dirty clothes, um, or you know, an overnight bag or something like that, and and it was not. Uh, and that's because I think he was just going to come back for a day or two and then head back to hang out with some friends. Let's move on to this. Of course, we talked about these clothes uh, that were, as you said, like 900 yards, which is 2,700 feet, which is about a half mile uh, away. That's about a half mile. That and, seems awful um, long. Excuse me? That seems awful long. 
Yeah, you said 900 yards. That's 2,700 feet. That's a half mile, 5,200 that, feet. That's like nine football fields. So I'm thinking Was it 900 it's at least feet? a couple of football fields. So still not um, close. Still not no, close. No, it's not close. But not yeah, close. I, I'd, right. I'd say at least 200 yards. I don't, 900 just seems like a lot. But yeah, 900 I, yards I is over a half mile. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So still a couple hundred yards. It's once again, it's obviously he couldn't have thrown them that far. Somebody no, had to have carried no, them or, no. or something. Okay. But you keep what's I think probably has caught a lot of people's attention uh, so far is you keep talking about Jason's uh, the spot of blood that was on his underwear, but we know that Jason is missing. Are you saying that he changed his clothes after he got out of the car? No, to be honest, I think the best supposition is he took his clothes off. Because the okay. clothes he was wearing, the clothes he was wearing that day, at least earlier that day, mm -hmm. uh, are the clothes that were I found in the road. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Best the best answer I could have would be paradoxical undressing. Um. Yeah. Okay. If he was hey, hypothermic. Uh, I'm I'm not don't think probably being you know he's a, an adult you wouldn't know every piece of clothing that he. Uh, is there any proof are there any of his clothes that are missing or a, a pair of shoes that are missing? Like, you know, I don't live with my father. I haven't lived with my, and my father, my mother's deceased, for like over 25 years. If I was, you know, they wouldn't know anything about my clothes or anything else, but looking at Jason's stuff, anything that you would be able to tell that we're missing that he could have changed into. Well, I think it's possible. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, he, he has money. He could have easily bought, you know, sweats or a jacket or jeans that I have not seen or I know of. Um, I don't know of anything missing, uh, but I also would would not know every piece of. Right. I wouldn't know every piece of my own clothing. <laughs> right. You know, right. To be I, honest. I, all right. So we. So um, nobody's been you know, able to track down. For example, let's just say the shoes. Have you ever been able to determine is there a pair of shoes uh, that you knew Jason had that have not been found? You know, leaving open my, the possibility that he could have put those on after. Not, to, not to my knowledge, but uh, but I don't think it's 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 certainly not impossible or beyond any. You know, I would if there's clothes that he was wearing that night, like could he have changed clothes into another piece, another complete outfit? Yeah, he could have. Okay, I don't know of of anything missing that I would have. Um, that would have come to mind because in fact i i brought him you know i went in his closet and got warm clothes out to take to him in case that night in case yeah. he needed unfortunately i couldn't use it but, okay. but certainly you know we had all his clothes in his apartment and stuff like that and and i didn't and that's one of the reasons why i was thinking that i would find a, a laundry bag full of clothes and that's what i was kind of thinking right. maybe happened is he he had other clothes because you know even if it's cold Jason, would I would I be surprised if he'd have t-shirts and shorts and slides on in 40 degree weather if he was driving home? No, yeah. wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. Of but of course, if if you needed to be outside, I was I was hoping that there was a basket of clothes or a bag, you know, and he could, oh, I need my jacket. I'm going to put on some sweats, you know, put something on warm before I walk into town or something like that. That's frankly what I expected or hoped and i thought originally the clothes that i that i saw on the side of the road i was just thinking he had just was digging them out of his bag and just didn't you know just left them there that's what i thought had happened okay. 
All right, so so for some reason after this wreck, at some point within that hour, we know there's this time frame between the car wreck and then somebody coming upon his car that he got out of the clothes, whatever he was wearing, including, though, his underwear, and left that there. They were there. There, There's a complete – there was his slides, his socks, his underwear, shorts, and a T-shirt. That's what I found on the road. Okay. Whether he was wearing them at the time of the accident, I don't know. I know that he was wearing at least that shirt before, during that day. I I think after he got out of the shower, I think he put on that shirt when talking with uh, his friends. His name escapes me. Okay. So. What about, uh, did he have any books uh, that he was bringing home for or anything? Where were they? Or did he leave those at school? Being Christmas break, I don't know how many. No, he didn't have, uh, no, he had all, his backpack had all his gaming equipment, um, okay. PlayStation stuff, head, headset, all that kind of stuff. I think his Switch and some games. Um, mm-hmm. And um, there was enough room, I think, for his wallet. And just a couple of other, you know, things. But um, basically, and his laptop, his laptop was in there, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So there wasn't, um, you know, it was it was full with his computer and gaming equipment. Okay, so the keys were in the car, the phones in the car. Did you say his wallet and ID were in the car or somewhere? His wallet his was in his backpack. Well, it was in the backpack. All right. So seemingly, whatever happened after this car wreck, he just seemingly went off with nothing just seemingly didn't take anything with them. Yes. Seemingly, I mean, I mean, that's, know, once again, the things I that mean, given, yeah. people carry in the 21st century, our car keys, our wallet, uh, of course, we're women, purse, yeah. bags, whatever, uh, phone, ID, all those things were left behind. Okay. Yeah. Let's go now. We've talked so much about this phone. You found it in the car. Of course, it certainly helped that you had that my phone, you know, find my yeah. phone feature, which I think is spectacular. Um, so it was still on. Uh, you talked about him driving, and then somebody chatted him, and then the it seems like the ways went in the background, and their ways to figure that out. But it, so it was on the whole time, uh, even through the wreck, and it was continued. Yeah. Was it still no, on I, when you got to there. No, and I, I intentionally the whole week I kept possession of it I, I know how the chain of evidence works um i kept personal possession of it and i kept it charged and i kept it on um because uh, like we have um uh, you know i didn't know his current password and when we turned it over to law enforcement you know they tried a couple and of course with an apple you only get so many attempts yeah and at some time and and you know i asked them don't just keep trying passwords because it's going to blank the phone. Right. And someone sometime kept trying whatever passwords because we have we have uh, like a pack of password bank. And so we were trying to search. And of course, we also had his laptop so we could see if we could get into that. We could maybe get his current password. Um, it's, you know, his new little numeric password. Yeah. yeah. But and and and. They've never said who, but they, someone put in too many attempts and it blanked the phone. Uh, the phone is currently in, you know, they keep having phone forensic analysts look at it. And we've done a, been able to do a partial reboot through his uh, uh, 
his Mac, he, it's Apple phone. He has a Mac. So those, those can sync. So we did a personal yeah. partial reboot by syncing those, but yeah. Um, and that's still one of, frankly, one of the big frustrations um, is I think smaller town law enforcement just um, doesn't yeah, I, quite have the, I guess, the friends. Yeah, yeah, in my experience, big time, big uh, town uh, law enforcement make uh, law enforcement makes these mistakes too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's just and it, it happened, and so you know we've lost. Uh, who knows what crucial data could have could have told us. So the best you can tell, that phone was on the whole time, went right through the intersection. It was on you and you. He didn't turn it off or anything. So that phone continued to be on to the very point that you got to the car by yourself and found it in the car. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because it only pings every once in a great while when an app's not running. Like, because Lisa watched it and she could tell, like, where the accident was. And it pinged, like, once. I guess while it was in transit to the to the lot, and then it pinged at the lot, so I knew it was there. I could see the car, but I also knew where. I mean, I could look at it and see, you know, his phone is in that car. So that's why I knew it was there. Okay, who was the person? Uh, if you can say, we're not here to get any, it's not in trouble or anything, but just who uh, who was the person who just happened to send him a Snapchat or whatever it was right around the time he was getting the lulling. Um, who, who was this person? What was the purpose? Just a friend or wh who was it? No, I, th I think it was his ex-girlfriend and they, they had been just like, okay. you know, chatting and reminiscing, sending, you know, pictures of, Hey, you remember when we went to so-and-so and, and just back and forth, just simply like that, just a continuation of that conversation. All right. So she was, uh, they were having this conversation back and forth as he was driving home did she get worried when he didn't respond to her? Did that register her to her at all that night? Or or do you even know? Um I don't I don't know. I don't I mean we we talked with her uh quite quickly because we talked with you know immediately after we reached out to all kind of the immediate circle whom whom sure. he might have contacted, you know, have you heard from him, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you know, she was one of the people that we contacted, and you know, she she hadn't heard from him after that Snapchat. All right, so she sent the Snapchat to him. A belief, a theory is that this then caused the Waze app. I have I've had Waze on my phone for almost mm -hmm. ten years now, uh, so I know I'm very familiar with this app, and I know how these things work. Kind of goes into the background. Right. Could have theory caused him to miss this turn. Yes. Uh, but. All right, so she sent, but of course, seemingly he never sent anything back to her. Do you know of any other phone uh, calls or texts that he made to anybody, uh, you know, during this time? Or was that the last person you believe that he, had, he was in contact with before the wreck happened? Well, I, I didn't, and as I understand it, for that one, I think he just opened it up to look at it. Okay. I don't think there was a reply or conversation. So, okay, gotcha. It was one that had been, I think, sent previously or something oh, like I that. So he just opened right. it and looked at it. Okay. And, you know, and that might have been when he dropped the phone and it went into that, you know, that place or whatever. Yeah. But certainly nothing in terms of phone activity, as far as I know, happened. No apps open, no nothing, no, no nothing after that point. 
Okay, very good. And we don't have to go through the pings because you found the phone. You have that uh, find my phone feature, which is even better than pinging. And that's how you tracked it down. I guess what it also shows is that I guess the police didn't go through it to find out. Uh, you know, how did um, they know to call you? I guess your registration, you being that you, he was driving the car, but you owned yeah. the car. That's how they ended up contacting you. They figured yeah. out who you Yeah, were. we're the registered owner of the vehicle. Okay. I have to ask you this. We've talked about it. We haven't talked about it for a while, but I'll bring it up very quickly. Was any uh, marijuana found among the things in his car? No, not that I know. Okay. The marijuana was found, I think it was, what, a handful of, of joints that were found in a, a pill bottle in his backpack. But as far as I know, I don't think there was any found in his car, or any paraphernalia or nothing, anything. And nothing out no. on the street either. No, no. Okay. All right. Now let's just talk about everything that's gone on since then. I know that there have been searches. I even talked about some of them. You know, I try to keep uh, up on uh, any disappearances that I've been involved in. I did an original Unfound Now on uh, Jason's disappearance on YouTube. And then, of course, John Lord and I, uh, we did that show with you a couple years ago. But there have been at least looking at it from florida there have been a couple big searches since how how were those different than the original searches uh how far did you go in each direction and you know what have some of those people who have taken part you know they've been able to give you any explanation on if we're to believe that jason walked off people might be open to some other ideas but if he walked off why hasn't been found what have some first of all let's just start there with these new searches that have been done how are they different than the original well, I mean, one essential difference is, at least in terms of dog teams, for example, you're you're working with cadaver dogs instead of live search dogs. Um, they we've had, you know, multiple, I guess, eight at least major searches through Texas Search and Rescue. And when I say major, I'm talking, you know, a hundred searchers, and you usually search multiple days over a weekend or something like that. Um, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday will be full full days of searches. They've searched, well, they've searched, if you're looking at the map and you do your map analysis, they searched the whole area kind of bounded by Plum Creek um, has been the core of the search, that okay. kind of the, that one area. They have searched on the other side of Plum Creek. Um, they have searched all the way over, and I can't remember the name number of the highway that runs between Lockhart and Luling. There's um, Salt Flat Road and then um, Pupper Road all the way over to the other side of the highway. They've searched um, multiple times using uh, horse ATV and just uh, by foot. And of course, also having helicopter, a lot of, lot of drones, a lot of drones, thousands of drone images. And a lot of times what they'll do is um, to have the search teams going out there and they'll also be doing drone teams they'll send drone teams out and then they'll process all of the drone imagery their work they worked with um, a couple of professors who you know they did the gabby petito take case there's an area of academic expertise as to you know what does someone do and where can you find them and they have like concentric zones as to how far they find them usually what ends up happening usually end up finding them close to where the car wrecked right but right. um you know kind of within 
that more immediate area. And the farther wow. you go out, the the less likely it is. But they've they've searched from for miles out. Uh, they've drained multiple bodies of water, um, and they continue to do so. Um, of course, we've had changes in agencies. You know, and the first couple of days was the Highway Patrol. Then uh, Caldwell County Sheriff's Office had the case, but then now the Attorney General Missing Persons Unit is the um, investigator of record um, for the last. I don't see. I haven't really thought about the dates, but less year or so, maybe. Yeah, last year or so. Um, and of course, we have private investigator, and we also have private teams working. But when Texas Search and Rescue does it, it's usually a bigger, more intentional, organized effort um, where they're searching a particular area or trying to. At this point, they'll they'll usually try to basically have a theory of the case, like. We want to go back and look over this area, or we want to go back and look over this area, or, you know, last time they went on the far side of Plum Creek, which would be highly unlikely someone traveling, you know, butt naked, barefooted over that terrain, all the way to the other side of Plum Creek. But they they said, we searched this area on this side of Plum Creek over and over and over again, haven't found them. Let's look on the other side. And of course, then there's always the likelihood that maybe he's not out there because someone else is involved or something, okay. you know, some, some scenario, other scenario. I have to ask you this question because this has come up both on some disappearances that unfound is covered that eventually got solved. And then some others that were unsolved for a while that did get solved. And one of the big issues is that sometimes people don't allow, you know, law enforcement to come on their property. We're not allowed. You're not going on, our, our area to search. And in fact, maybe you being that you live in Texas, maybe you've heard of the disappearance of Brandon Lawson, who disappeared some years ago. The research is done. He wasn't found. Kind of similar circumstances, although his car was not wrecked. It was out of gas. They did all these searches, couldn't find him. And then somebody locally bought this piece of land. These people were still interested in the disappearance. Go to the new owners. The new owners say, sure, I don't mind. They go onto this piece of land found Brian, although it's still up in the air, they believe it's Brandon Lawson's remains. Any uh, landowners in the area who said, nope, you're not flying any drones over our property. Nope, you're not going on our property. Anything like that? By and large, no. Most of the uh, landowners, uh, particularly when for law enforcement and Texas Search and Rescue, um, have been very open. And in fact, they participated. Um and you know kind of shown people around and kind of that type of thing um now i think when we've had our private search teams out there there have been a couple of landowners who are kind of like we're tired of people coming on our land looking for jason landry i mean i'm yeah. sure there are people who i know there are people who wish they'd never heard our yeah. family name before yeah um you know and that's and that's hard while i appreciate that you know i mean i i obviously don't really give a five flip with anything, uh, yeah, I know. you know. I know. No, but you don't have to but by and large, you know, by and large, especially the landowners around the the accident, over and over again, have been, you know, you have permission to go and have given certain, you know, the people. I mean, there have been people over that property over and over and over again, but but they have allowed it because they, you know, and and most of them have been very, you know, they're like. 
I have children too. If I were in your shoes, I would want, you know, now, you know, a lot of them have said, Hey, look, I've got dogs and all that. And, you know, let's, you know, you don't just show up unannounced. Don't, you know, right. by and large, you know, frankly, with all the problems we have with the border being open and the other issues, um, you know, it's a bit more problematic for, for people wandering around on people's land yeah. nowadays uh, as it is. So, you know, I think particularly for Texas search and rescue and all that, they get permission and tell them and, you know, they, they try not, no one wants a surprise and right. someone gets shot um, right. because someone thinks someone is trespassing. That would be the last thing anybody would want, but, right. but by and large, particularly for the area that's been searched over and over and over again, they've been quite um, accommodating. Um, right. I'm glad to hear that. So is it all private land, for example, where the car eventually ended up against the fence? I guess that was somebody's private property. Is that all private property or is there some state land or is it all just people's area? Uh, as far as I know, I mean, they, they have, cause you know, they've, they've sent search teams out to, you know, they'll get, there'll be a, a story or a rumor that they'll have and, you know, there've been state parks around the extended area that have been searched. Some places all the way past San Antonio have been searched based on particular stories, but kind of in the immediate area is all private land. A lot of it is, it's like I said, it's more pasture land and more, uh, it's, it's non-residential. So it's, it's a lot less intrusive. You're not walking around someone's backyard. Um, now that did happen. They did find a skull and human remains in someone's backyard in Luling, you know, a couple of months ago, um, which is, it's hard to explain what that's like to get a call um, from them saying we found something, but so you, you get your hopes up, but you're also heartbroken all at the same time. And it's, it's, it's just, I mean, it's still amazing to sit here and it's been like 825 days. I can't even wrap my head and heart around that because we talked, I think when we talked, it was what, a few months, three, probably about three, four months after probably. Yeah, yeah I think that might have been February of 2021, yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, we talked within months and we, and, you know, like I said, I expected him to be in that pond in that first week. And so everything that has happened after then has been unexpected, I guess. And to think of how many searches we've had in, because, you know, I've, I've learned how the statistics on how often they find. I mean, it's like 70 plus percent they find within, yeah. you know, you know, half percent. mile. That's right. Um, and and yet that same radius has been searched. But of course, if you're looking for bones out in the middle of nowhere and because like right now, for example, you know, everything's getting green again. And it's, you know, with all the undergrowth, it's really, really hard. Tough. If, if you're just, what are you looking for? You know, how big of a bone, you know, and all those kinds of things. If you're, you know, just a piece of a rib bone or something, that's going to be real hard to find. You know, you're not going to find an intact skeleton for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, and then of course, then you start as family to travel down that path and to start thinking about those that that's my baby's bones. Mm-hmm. You, you don't do that. You know, you, you just, you can't. And, you know, then again, I, I find myself 
gosh, I can't, how many times I've just driven out there by myself and just walked around and been there. You do that too. So, um, and in some ways that's, it's very comforting to be there, but in other ways, it's also very unsettling um, to be in that space because you're still, I'm still trying to, what, what the hell happened? I mean, that's the thing about this, this whole case. Yeah. You're talking a couple of miles of relatively deserted road over a one hour window of time. Most investigations are much more, there are a whole lot more variables. This is actually, should be very simple. So why in the hell have we not found him if it's that simple? And that's, I think, one of the things that, um, I guess there's a couple of things that connect people. I think Jason is connected with a lot of people. Um He's a very normal kid from a good family. Uh, so he kind of connects with people. So they kind of see themselves and their family in this situation. But it's also just from the crime sleuth community aspect is it's, you know, why it because it just you just just keep coming back because there's not a lot of variables along this dirt road, right? Gravel road for one hour. I mean, it's it's you should be able to find him. So why haven't we found him? And then that, of course, opens up Pandora's box is, does that mean someone else is involved because he's not out there? And and then that becomes, you know. Well, let's go, let's go right to that. That's a good segue into this. I want to talk about this guy who I know I've seen on TV, and I I know that uh, there have been some, has been some national coverage on Jason's experience, but Abel Pena – uh, former FBI, uh, did you get him involved? Did did you ask him to get involved, or did he come to you? Because uh, I would have to say, you know, he's. I think he's kind of put out there. There, there might be, you know, he's looking yeah. into the possibility of foul play. So, how did you yeah. all get? How did he get involved? So his daughter actually went to Texas State. Huh. And she, if I remember off the top of my head, I think I think it's correct. She had dated one of Jason's friends, so. That's so she came to her and said, Dad, have you heard about this? And and Abel's a retired FBI agent. He lives in San Antonio, which for those who don't know, San Antonio and Luling are well, I don't know, less than an hour from each other. They're very close, uh, both in central Texas. Um, so very close. And um Abel um has a nonprofit investigation agency to help find missing persons. Uh so you know, with his daughter saying, Dad, I, I want you to look into this because I, I, you know, she didn't know Jason personally. She knew of him. And, and she's like, I want you to look into this. And so that's how we got contacted was actually through kind of his daughter uh, told him about the case. And, and you know, he, we, he reached out to us and I mean, we've had plenty of different private investigators want to want to solve it or whatever. But at least he has that kind of personal connection to it. Right. And, but he has put out there, I have to say, these, the, the, it's out there, he's looking into the possibility of foul play. If you can say, um, you know, how did he get onto that particular angle? Is it just because of what we mentioned a few moments ago that, you know, all these searches are, have been done, Jason's not found? Is it possible that he get, did get picked up? Is it possible? Well, is it because of that or is it something else? Well, I mean, I think there, there's a lot of rumors and stories that float around kind of you know, like I said, this isn't the best area. There are drug dealers in this area. Could could something have happened? 
at that intersection. And, you know, J- Jason may have never driven that car out to Salt Flat Road. Someone else, you know, could believe. Now, the clothes he was wearing, you know, there are no bullet holes. There are no, there's no blood. There's no nothing. So it, it, you have to kind of think, okay, do you take some, make someone take all their clothes off at gunpoint? Is there a witness? You know, all those kinds of things come into this, but, um, or did something happen along the road or, you know, some people have conjectured that something happened after the accident. Like there was the accident. Jason was walking along the road, going back for help. And did he get hit by a car or something? Um, you know, did he get chased out there? I mean, there, there are certain lots of scenarios out there and there are stories floating around about those scenarios. Um, but in terms of, of direct, I mean, you'd have to talk to the investigators because, because part of that for us and, and having lived in this area personally, uh, having done criminal defense law and, and prosecution, um, you know, is it possible? Yes. Probable? Probably not. But if it's, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility, given that we haven't found his body. Now, the whole thing about the pigs and eating up the whole body and all that. If you want to talk about that, we can, but yeah, we're not going to get into that. We don't talk about hogs and uh, well, it, wood it's, chippers and things, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of that whole thing is, is you're really getting almost, I mean, like for, for it, pigs can consume much of us, mm-hmm. but the odds of them consuming like skull, pelvis, teeth and all that, it's like, that would have to be an abnormal situation, but on the other hand, if if something possibly could have happened with some not nice people who've been connected to this case, uh, the, the rumors floating out there, um, yeah. Could, so would you say that him, him looking into this, he's tried to track down where these rumors have come from? And I mean, is there any substance to any of them that he's been able to find yet? I don't know. I, I have not. I've not seen it. Seen it. Um, okay. you know, I have not, um, you know, you've seen the, with the shows of letters and things like that, you know, that, that come in tips and all that have come in many times over every time, you know, something goes out on a TV show or something, tips are generated, they follow them up. But as far as I know, you know, certainly there's not a number one suspect. There's not been an arrest. There's not, certainly they haven't found jason's body in a shallow grave or something like that um you know for as for the family you we just we just want answers where those answers will lead us you know um gotcha i don't i don't know um you know and that's the frustration is you're like i think it's more likely than not that something like that probably did not someone else was not involved and his body's out there but if it his body's out there given the amount of searches right good lord why haven't we found it because certainly it should have but of course you've been involved and heard about many more and you know sometimes someday i hope you know someone gets us answers whatever those answers are we just want to know because it's you live life in a limbo until you know the answer um Mm -hmm. so 
have uh, have it here in the outline. Uh, have you ever have any medical professionals reached out to you? Have you reached out any of them? And let's just say that Jason did have a head injury of some type and walked off. Have they? Have you asked them how Jason far he could have walked with a head injury? Odds of amnesia or something like that. Is anybody that you trust in the medical field? You know, have you talked to anybody like that trying to give you some insight into that? Yeah, we have talked with some. I mean, it, it's it is possible certainly to have like a traumatic amnesia type of thing um but given the time length and um you know jason's relative health and and all of that usually you would not have um something that would be this permanent and you know they've done the psychological profile of them or the family and all the circumstances you know part of that whole thing is you know is it a combination of amnesia and running away and all that kind of stuff? I can I can just tell you for what I know of, of Jason and, and our family, we're by no means perfect, but Jason's not the type to run away. He's not the type to, given the circumstances, given his health and everything else in terms of being amnesic, it wouldn't usually, it would be a very rare case to be, you know, two years plus and still for him not to be um, found. And, and we have investigated that, you know, all the homeless shelters, all of the, of course, he's all of his data is on every hospital registry. So any emergency room or anything that would have seen Jason in two years, it would have hit. So that becomes less and less likely just given the circumstances. And we constantly have people out there, you know, coming through homeless shelters and other things like that, that would, that would fit that scenario and and you know have not had anything that that really makes us think that there's you know that there's someone there and then we would would run that lightly down immediately and i'm sure maybe uh many who are listening i do know that i forget how long ago it was it's probably within the last year there was this uh unidentified young man was it in new york Yes. they looked into yes. to make sure this to yeah see that was an adventure Rogers. yeah yeah that was an adventure man i mean i, I we looked at that picture <laughs> a lot and it did look a lot and he has been identified i think he was from yonkers or something like yeah. that and, and who did have some mental and emotional problems um so uh we're we're, we're so thankful that you know that family got answers and 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 I don't know what's going on now, but I certainly hope that young man um has been reunited with his family. And I know that there was some form of reunion. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was that was something. Um I was right, we were we were about to start packing uh buying tickets to New York. I tell you that. That was that was you know, and that's the thing is you're always wait, you're always waiting for a phone call that never happens. And then something like that happens and then you get excited and then you, you you're yeah, back. The roller coaster. Yeah. The emotional roller coaster. Uh, you know, I guess the other thing about this disappearance is that, you know, if he was driving his car and wrecked it for some reason, there are no sightings of him. Nobody saw him walking down the road even though his clothes were maybe not as we talked about 900 yards, but let's yeah. say 300 yards down the road. Um, you know, nobody local driving by saw it, whether he was naked or closed or anything else, nobody's ever come forward like that. You know, that's the other perplexing. No, thing not to my knowledge. And, and 
And I know that for law enforcement has knocked on the door of every house along that route. Um, you know, they've looked cameras and everything else, including even game cameras, you know, just kind of to try to find, um, to find answers and no, none. And that's, you know, it's, and if anybody's ever been there, driven along that route, you can see how few houses there are, but every single, as far as I know, every single house along that route, um, kind of heading out, um, on either side of the road has been personally asked. And, and as far as we know, not a, not a single person. I'm trying to think, I guess, who would have been the last person to lay eyes on Jason? Um, Someone at school. Yeah. I know he talked to one of his roommates, you know, um, that, you know, he was that he was leaving, but I don't know if they actually laid eyes on each other. I don't think they did. I think they more talked through a door. I guess the um, the other point is that are we to believe then that his car really sat there for an hour and it took somebody else to come? Did it really sit there for an hour? Even though it's a gravel road, it doesn't sound like, of course, this isn't downtown New York City. It's out, you know, quote unquote, in the middle of nowhere. But did, did that car really sit there for an hour and it took an hour for somebody to, you know, to see it? Or were there other cars going by and seeing it and just saying, you know, nothing, anything of it? You know, that's. I guess that's possible. I know um, one of the main, since that's in the kind of an oil field area, they do have uh, corp company trucks, you know, they go up and down their uh, container trucks and whatnot. I know they've checked with all those drivers uh and check the you know gps trackers on all of them and i don't uh as far as i know not a single one saw anything um you know out of out of the ordinary so i mean it's it's possible certainly yeah i didn't see a whole lot of i don't i know i didn't see another car driving down salt flat road when i drove down okay so let's move on to this and maybe this is a uh... Being that you are a man of the cloth, you're a pastor of a church, uh, how much have you relied on your faith? And of course, in your position, of course, you're dealing probably with people all the time who are going through difficult times in their lives, maybe you know, being diagnosed with cancer or suffering the loss of, you know, a death of a loved one. Has any of that experience helped trying to deal with this now that you're experiencing this firsthand? Has any of that helped? And how much has your faith helped you? Well, it's made all the difference. Um, you know, not just, I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, I think I get like the year-end statistics for like the Facebook page for Find Jason Landry. And I think we got over two and a half million hits um, on his Facebook page. And, and I've personally talked to so many people that have been touched by his story from around the, literally around the globe. I mean, Spain, Netherlands, Philippines, just like they'll have episodes of his about shows about his case that will air literally around the globe. And then I will find out about it because I'll get a, a, a direct message. So the story certainly has touched people. Um, and that's what God does. He makes good things out of bad. So clearly I think that's had an impact, but for us, it makes all the difference. And, and it's really very simple because I know that Jason is almost certainly in heaven. I, I mean, that he's passed away. I know he is in heaven if he has passed away. I, I know his relationship with the Lord. And so that means I'm going to see him again. 
we're going to spend all eternity together. And that makes all the difference. If, if I didn't know that, um, I don't know how I could face the day or any of us because that makes all the difference. And, and that's, I think if there's anything I would say to people is, you know, we're all one phone call away from tragedy. Um, whether it be a cancer diagnosis, whether it be a loss of a job, what, I mean, you can walk out of your house tomorrow, today, and not ever walk back in that door. Yeah. And that's what I want people to consider is if that happens to you, if this is your last day, where are you going to spend eternity? I know Jason's going to spend eternity in heaven. I know I am. And that makes all the difference in terms of hope because I still know I'll see my son. And for him to get to heaven before me, I mean, I participate in funerals from children to to in their 90s. Yeah. I don't know if I've buried anyone over 100. And they're all different, and the stories are all different. But our eternal destination is either heaven or hell. It's as simple as that. And to know that we'll spend all eternity together, regardless of when he got there and when I get there, I don't know how long I have. Um, and so I think that's part of, of the story and, and that has touched people. And, and I've talked with other college students who thought about, who kind of see themselves in Jason and said, you know, I make the same choices he makes. And there's no reason that I couldn't have ended up on the side of that dirt road. I mean, there, no one expected anything like this to happen. No one expects anything to happen i mean just driving around houston last couple of days i know i passed in an accident that probably was a death accident because i know what it looks like mm-hmm. it happens every day every day you know and, and i think about you know the scourge of fentanyl killing so many people which is just terrifying to me to think all the all the young people not just young people uh young yeah. people but a lot of people you know, and we're and we're all living on on the razor's edge of life or death, but we don't want to think about it. And I think part of this story is think of a, a 21 year old, much like many of us when we were that same age, to have his life ended just you know for a stupid car accident on the side of the road for the one or two days. That's why you know literally. You could only get hypothermia in Central Texas probably a couple of days out of the year. And this happened to be one of those days. So, and that's what happens though. Circumstances happen where it just, they all come together. And sometimes the outcome is not what we would desire. And that's true for Jason. It's true for me, true for you, true for anyone. And that's where I think faith comes in, where you just, God's God and I'm not. I, I don't have all the answers. I don't, and I never will. And I'm okay with that. And I never thought that this would be something that I would have to try to try to wrap my head and heart around. You know, when you do funerals, you do, you're there for, you know, the, the weird thing about being a pastor, and I've had it happen. I've literally been in a hospital and I've made a visit from someone who's dying and a baby being born 
And it's the same visit, the same hospital. I go from one floor to another floor. I go from life to death. Um, and so it gives you, I think, a bit of a different perspective, but it also, I, you realize that how close we all are. None of us know how many days we have. And yeah. just, you know, live the days. That's that's part of the thing is, particularly when you're talking about family, I mean, you've lost your parents. You know, when all you're left with is, is, is memories, make those memories count. You know, that's that's part of the thing is when they're gone, you 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 can't make it up. You know, have have the have the conversation you you don't want to have. Yeah. You know, make your relationships matter. Make make your make your days matter. Do something that matters. And that's what I would say to people is is don't just count days. You know, don't just live your life thinking there'll be a tomorrow because there may not be. So if there's something that you want to do, do it today. You know, if there's a conversation with the loved ones, some spend some time with them. Don't wait. Don't wait because when all you've got is memories and pictures, you sure pray that they're good ones because is you know you may be left a lot of years thinking about what ifs you know make make those as little as possible and you know make them be i mean we're thankful that we have so many good memories that we have so much to look back on it's it's weird to think that um you know 21 years may be all that jason had um you never expect that, but none of us know how many years we got. So live them like they matter and um, do something, you know, do something with life that impacts other people in a good way. Do do something valuable, whether or not you have my faith or not. That's I don't think that that changes. I think living life with purpose with a with a meaning with value i think we can all do that i mean yes i hope everybody would would come to christ um and and have that eternity but even in even if you disagree with me on that geez make make your life of of something of value make the world a better place for you having existed and and i think that's true for jason and I think can be true for all of us, but I think um, a lot of us, you know, we live life with a someday attitude. And I just, if there's anything that's changed uh, in us for that, don't live for someday because you don't know when your last day will happen, you know. Kent, do you have a Facebook page, website, anything else set up for Jason's disappearance? If so, why don't you tell the listeners about all sure, of um, right now? I, th I think it's uh, missing persons. Find Jason Landry. I, th I know if you just put "Find Jason Landry" in there, you'll find it. That's where we try to update. I, um, you know, um, the Attorney General's office has a missing persons cold case unit that is working at it. There, they work behind the scenes, so they they keep us surprised. But we're trying. They were, you know, there there's stuff going on that you can't necessarily say, but. 
we do let people know uh, in terms of searches and stuff like that. And, you know, they're still ongoing. Um, they're, they're planning the next search and, you know, we'll keep, and, and I know a lot of people have contributed money. We're also paying some private search teams to go out there. Uh, they have been last couple of, in the month, last two months, I think we've had two different teams out there. And we will continue to do that until we have answers. Cause I mean, our, if Jason, Jason's out there and we just have to keep, have to keep looking. Cause if there's anything I've learned from so many of these cases, well, number one, there's tens of thousands of people missing right yeah. now, tens of thousands. Yep. It's just amazing that how many of us are so ignorant of the suffering of others. There are so many families just like ours. We're, we're no different, just like ours. And I'm so thankful for you and John and all those who work Thank behind you. the scenes to, to, to bring out stories like this. So people realize, um, number one, there are people out there hurting, uh, that, that, you know, need your thoughts and prayers, but also, there are missing people out there and we want them all to be brought home. We want the story to be told because I can tell you for a family, you know, every day is the day we hope will be the day we find out, but every day I count yet another day. And I, I can't, I can't believe that we have, we don't have the answers yet, but I just pray that one day we will. And uh, I just thank you for, taking the time to to share the story and um you know let people know about Jason. Why don't you uh give that Facebook page out again one more time Ken, please. Sure. Uh missing persons find Jason Landry. J A S O N L A N D R Y. Ken, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much Ed. Thank you so much. Take care. God bless. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You're welcome. And that was my March 17th, 2023 interview with Kent Landry, father of Jason Landry. I thank Kent for appearing on both audio and video for this episode. There are two videos you should check out on the Unfound YouTube channel that make great companion pieces to this podcast. Number one, the original Unfound Now I did in January of 2021 concerning Jason's disappearance. And number two, the map analysis I produced at the same time as this interview. Please give both videos a thumbs up and please subscribe to the channel. Now, my summation. The major point that comes to mind with Jason's disappearance is of Daniel Villarreal who went missing under similar circumstances in Surprise, Arizona in August 2020. I mentioned him in the intro. Daniel was actually in two car wrecks before walking off, and his disappearance was solved within the last two months when someone after several years decided to refurbish a long-time abandoned bathroom like an outhouse in a backyard. Daniel was dead in it. No reason to think foul play. However, I'm not sure any injuries from the wrecks are what killed Daniel either. I bring this up not because I want you all to believe Jason walked off to go for help or was injured or whatever else. I mentioned Daniel's case because it shows how unpredictable 
these types of disappearances can be. What are the odds that Daniel would just happen to find a building on someone's property that hadn't been used in years in which to hide or sleep, whether he was aware of what he was doing or not? That has to be even less likely than Daniel or Jason or anybody else getting picked up after a wreck by someone with bad intentions. The counter-argument to thinking that is what happened with Jason, that he ended up in a spot like in an abandoned building nearby, is that Kent believes all private property within a reasonable distance, remember that term, of the car wreck has been searched including ponds and lakes and sheds and barns. Whereas that could not be said about Daniel's disappearance, because he disappeared in the middle of a large city. The problem? There is no solid definition of reasonable distance for searches, connected to disappearances like Jason's and Daniel's. One mile radius, two mile radius, ten miles... Nobody knows. And for all people like myself, when you double the radius of a circular search area, the entire area quadruples in size. Really, it all just becomes unmanageable. No matter how many drones and dogs and ATVs and humans are involved. And this completely ignores the possibility that Jason really did run into a person or group who picked him up and caused his disappearance that night. So all the rational, logical searching could really all be for naught. Still, the search isn't over. If you'd like to read and hear more about what I have to say regarding Jason's disappearance, please sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. Until then, I leave the public theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.